Welcome to another episode of Don't Worry About It with Neeks. And on today's episode, another good friend of mine again. He's back on the show, Kofi Hope Gund. Welcome. Third time. Thank you. Yeah, about time. Yeah. Third time. Third time. Oh, third, third time. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, on, I'm happy. Yeah, this is about time. I mean, I, I'm um, waiting. I, I love having, having someone like you we can continue to bring back on because we can continue to develop our discussions and in a yeah. way that is not as easy now with the pandemic and everything and limited true uh, interactions but um yeah let's get this going so we're back on the premier league and of course it's because of course it's the funnest the most fun thing to talk about but it's um it's been it's been interesting through the lens of fantasy kind of gauging because you're kind of focusing on your individual players in fantasy premier league um so yeah man Oh yeah, I mean, I've this weekend is what only been four games down, so we have six games to go, and just kind of looking at results, seems like Big Six has been kind of striking back in terms of this fixed, like fast fixture list, like Liverpool, West Ham was a pretty good game today, mm-hmm. but I think like West Ham, West Ham team moving forward when they have good fixtures, but teams like those against like bottom six and bad teams always like have a fair chance, but it's, it's, it's been wild to think about because the season slowed down quite a bit. It's when we first talked about Prem that second time I was on, we were talking about how this, the season had been, there had been a lot of goals, no clean sheets. And then recently we've had like a bunch more clean sheets. Sheriff United zero man city one this morning, Wolves two palace nil. Yesterday, like, there's much more, many more clean sheets now. Spurs got a clean sheet at Burnley yeah. last weekend. And it's kind of – it's returning to some sort of normalcy like we've seen in the past. But – and even, like, Liverpool getting a grinded out win 2-1, like, two 2-1s in a row against teams that, like, wouldn't be that good. But then with their settings, like, all the stuff that's been happening with like Van Dyke, obviously. Van yeah. Dyke is a talking point. Like, it's a real shame that he's out, especially out for the season. Um, that's a big, that's a big loss. But I mean, if if for those of you who watched the game, the Liverpool West Ham game today, um, Nat Phillips came in big. Well. He played Nat, very Nat well. Nat Phillips played well. Um, and so that was that was a reassuring thing. I had um, yeah. I was actually on um, Mike Schroeder's podcast, Shreds Takes, and I, we talked about how there was a good chance that this was going to be a really good game, a back and forth. And you look, yeah. I mean, West Ham scored in like the 18th or 19th minute, and then it was all uphill from there. And, I mean, they got the yeah. penalty, which helped a lot. And then from there it was just trying to get a goal. I mean, you see the subs on of, um, of Jota and Shakiri in the late in the game, and that was, that was huge. I mean, Shakiri with that yeah. beautiful pass to Jota. Pass, Jota's, just a, Jota's just a natural-born right place, right time finisher, and also he's fast yeah, and yeah. he's good. So it works. Yeah. He's scored two winners now at home to, mm-hmm. to keep, like, and to, to continue Anfield being a fortress. But once again, it was threatened today like it was last weekend. And, I mean, Jota's goals weren't the clinical, like, important ones, but they were the ones to, to, to turn them into three points mm-hmm. both times. Yeah, he's been big. That's a, good, that's a good piece of business by Liverpool. Absolutely. Now that the window's closed, we can talk about players who have done well since the window's closed. Like Donny Van de Beek at United, like why is he on the even on the bench? 
Yeah, he's he's a bad signing for them, I think, because it's a bad they, signing. They had that they had that caliber of players in those positions. Yeah. He's not a defensive midfielder. He's he's just he's literally another form another form of a uh, Bruno Fernandez in the sense that he goes forward. He's going to create chances in the more his passing rather than the fact that Bruno can just fucking rip the ball. But the idea that um, they like to go forward and they like to to maintain possession of the ball. And, and Donny yeah. Van de Beek is a great player. He just went to the wrong club. They don't need him there. Yeah. Yeah. There's no... It was also kind of a pity transfer by United because I think they... Ed Woodward knew early on he wasn't going to try and get Sancho. And I think yeah. that... Yeah, the attempt they made later was kind of to appease the fans maybe, but to be linked with him for this long and not do anything and then bring in a guy like Donny Van de Beek who's class, but you don't want to start him. Like, if it's anything... you need. It's if anything, it shows you didn't listen to your coach when thinking about hey, should does Ole want to bring in Vanderbilt? Yeah. Does he want him to play? Because if he doesn't, don't go out and spend millions on a player that's not exactly. going to start. Exactly. You're I seeing think, this with Chelsea now too. Yeah, um, yeah. In a sense, I mean, Chelsea look pretty good now. Uh, they do. Manchester United do not look very good at all. So that's a difference. I mean, you look at Chelsea. They've they, – what you have to do is give a team a series of games, and we were giving them, like, one to three games to get better. Mm-hmm. And it's been a work in progress, but I think today, 3-0 against Burnley. Burnley are not doing well at all. Mendy's fifth clean sheet. Mendy is doing very well. Edward Mendy shows, is, a, is a big, big signing for them. Big signing. They needed. Big signing. And Thiago Silva has been very good for them as well. And Kurt Zuma's yeah. working much better with a with a very experienced center back like like Thiago Silva. Like ben Chilwell's been great. Reese yeah. James has stepped up. Conte's been better. Jorginho's yeah. improved. Has been doing really well. But that's I think and that's like keeps, kind of their biggest problem. I don't think is in defense anymore. With by bringing in Mendy, I think they shore it up. I think their problem, and it's a good problem to have, is their attack and their options they have. It's like because when you think about yeah. it, it's too much. And that can be a bad thing for a young manager like Lampard who doesn't really know the game. Like, they, he hasn't gotten them to gel yet. But getting Mendy in, on, in front of that back line, they had, like, really low expected goals against last year. But because Kepa was in goal, usually oh teams make up for it. Like, the, the, the difference on that was, like, nothing. Like, he couldn't make it up by being a good keeper. So they just – there was – like, they shouldn't, they shouldn't have conceded these goals. So no, when bringing in another keeper, you know they're going to just concede less goals immediately like because of that, immediately mm-hmm. off of that. Yeah, immediately off of that. And I think – but also, yeah, like going back to that, their offense, I mean, today they had, I think, I think it was pretty much all of their main starters, main new signings playing. So they had mm-hmm. they had um, Havertz, Werner. Ziyech, Havertz, Werner. Chilwell, um, Mendy, yeah, but not not Pulisic, but and Thiago exactly. And so they have a Pulisic lot. Pulisic is a new. Pulisic is a new. No, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. That's but, six. But that's six. six right there, and they that's that's more than half the team. And so yeah. that's something that yeah, um, it speaks to the fact that he's he's a new coach. He's got a new situation on his hands, but he's got a lot of room to do much good for that team. I think there's going to be yeah. a lot of opportunity that is has been coming with these past couple games have been showing their somewhat class, but they now need to perform against the top six. So it's kind of like Everton. Everton were kind of, were sick for like four straight games. Everton, it's, Everton, it's but difficult then, to but talk they were about play- right now. Yeah. But they were playing. Both of their more- flanks are like, both of their flanks are either suspended or injured. Like Hamas is apparently hurt. Coleman, Seamus Coleman is hurt. 
Dina has a one game, Richarlison has two more games and a three games just has suspension left. So yeah. like they are they we can't really judge them right now, but yeah. they don't look as promising. I think Southampton dumped them. It wasn't like yeah, it wasn't no, that a wasn't game. a that wasn't a close game. They dominated them. So it's it's a difficult one there. I mean, but you look at like Liverpool, they're sick and they just lost seven to two. Although Aston Villa are very good, but Southampton are a very like beatable but also losable to team. They could they yeah, could pull something off pretty quick, pretty easily. Not easily, but like realistically. So that's it. Yeah, it's a tough one. And I, like I was saying with the four games, I mean they they had undefeated at the beginning, and they but they were playing like West Brom, Spurs, yeah. Brighton, uh, Brighton, and someone and like some other bottom level West team. Brom, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It was just like not not that much you could expect out of them. And now yeah. we're kind of seeing that. Palace, have, West Brom, Brighton, and Spurs yes, were the first four. Yes, yes, and so they're not teams that have done well at all, and so it's not like they yeah. were performing. And then they played Liverpool, and that was a good game. They had all their stars, yeah. and that was a good game. So they have the quality, but now they just need to be able to hold themselves up with these injuries, and I don't yeah. see it happening. I hope it doesn't happen. Yeah. I fucking hate them. But yeah, I, I don't really like – I mean, I have nothing against them, but <laughs> I like obviously Merseyside, but – I think it's interesting to see if they can – you knew a player like Hamas had the potential to be really good in this league, and he's come out and he's done that for a couple of games. But now he's been dealing with injuries. The other te- – he did play last week, and Carlo Ancelotti said he wasn't going to, which was, like, surprising because the player at Hamas is, you think, oh, he's going to take a break. He tried to play through it. He played pretty poorly. Uh-huh. He had a bad performance. And if they – like, if he stays hurt – I mean, obviously, when Richarlison and Dinier get back into the team, I think they'll be good again. Their attack, Calvert-Lewin depends yeah. upon, like, that kind of left side yeah. delivery into the box, and he's not the same player without it. So we can't judge him yet, but I think when they get back and if they're not – if they continue to struggle like this, that'll mean they don't have it. Yeah, yeah. Or that they could be slowing down. Yeah, they could be slowing down. I mean, that was could have been a, uh, a wave they were riding. But – um. I guess yeah, continuing on, we're looking at <laughs> looking at some teams that are disappointing. Um, Sheffield, Burnley, Burnley um, they're just god awful, man. I, I mean, can talk about the table all day. It's well, yeah. Burn, like Burnley. Burn, the thing about Burnley is, so they they signed like one signing this year, Dale Stevens from Brighton. When you think about Burnley and the money they're taking into the club and the money that Dyche has given to go out and get transfers, they haven't been buying anybody. They just he knows how to keep them up, but. At this point, everybody else is investing, and it's yeah. tough. It's hard. There's, there has to be a sense of flexibility within a management perspective. Yeah. When they've got to know how to continue to change the game because the game is always changing. Um, yeah. and I, think, I think, yeah, that's, that's a big one. Same thing with Sheffield. I mean, I think they signed three players, and they're just not seeing them perform. So it's also not just the fact that they're not signing or they're not signing the right players or whatever. It may, it may be that they're signing the right players, but they're not signing them and they're not actually using them to their full potential. Mm-hmm. There's not, there's, or they're not letting, letting the game change with the players because that's yeah. what you have to do. That's what the best teams are, are these teams mm-hmm. that they pick the right – they have the right players for, the, for any, almost any situation, but then when the right system comes into play and it works for them, they fucking roll. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's something. I mean, you see that with, you see that with like city and pep and the caliber exactly. of a player like De Bruyne, the caliber of a player like 
Mares, a player like Aguero. The, the city is city because of them. It's not city because Pep knows. I mean, and I agree with you about that. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the 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 system like that definitely depends on the quality of players they've got. Ella um, can go top, or no, they can't. Not anymore. I don't but think they, they could have. Yeah. If they if if you guys had tied, they could have gone top. Yeah, but we're just that good. So that would have that would have been wild if they were <laughs> top of the Premier League. That, that would be insane. That would be so weird too, because like we haven't seen. They almost they almost got relegated last year, and now yeah. we're seeing them in fifth place, and they're they're holding their own. Like what's like what's going on with them? I could talk about them, for, but they don't they, really make that much sense. They don't I make don't that much sense. Dean Smith as a manager. No, I don't think that's. I don't think he's that big of an impact on them. I think these players are very young, and so they've kind of and they have some old enough players that are able to understand how to motivate a team. So you look at like Jack Grealish, nasty and also a good motivator. It's working. He's he's a guy who somehow seems like he yeah. connects. I don't know him personally, so I actually don't know. But you kind of see on the field they have a relationship with one another. They enjoy scoring goals they enjoy winning games together there's a connectivity that that you see like with liverpool they they get along so well but then you see sometimes with man city when they go down they hit the ground hard they get wrecked so it's yeah something like that where not wrecked but they'll lose and you'll they'll see it you'll see it badly and something with west with aston villa they're going up with this and they're going well and even like ross barkley's been a great signing for them because he was a player who likes to stand out amongst players that can help him not just players that are also kind of fitting to a system. And so he's yeah. put in positions that, that he can do his work. Because he's a really good player when it comes down to it. He's just yeah. – he's just yeah. there's types of play that he needs. And, um, and Ollie Watkins, man, oh, man. That guy wrecked us. But he was really good. I mean, he's, he's a young guy. And he's just he, hasn't, he hasn't scored other than that, though. That's no, kind of crazy. But he's a young player. He's not going to be consistent yet. I mean, he's, he's just – this is the first time in the Premier League. There's one season wonders who just piss you off afterwards. And then this guy's yeah. continually improve or just go yeah. sustain a high level. And I think he's going to get better. He was good. He was good for who was it? Brentford last season. I yeah. think. Um, but yeah, I think he could bag a brace or maybe a goal against Southampton's high line at home. Because the thing is he profited from with his pace against Liverpool's high line and with Southampton, you've seen them play well against teams that don't have like pace behind, like, DCL as good as he is, you're not going to put him in the channel against a center back. Like he, that's not his game. But so they have success against teams like that, playing deep, deeper, deep line blocks. But like Son shredded Southampton. Yeah. You go to Chelsea. Warner had a field day with Southampton. I think if Villa properly conduct themselves in the midfield, especially with regard to like can McGinn keep up and and is Grealish good? Like depending on how he plays. If they can win that midfield battle, Watkins can have a day. Uh huh. That's for sure. That's for sure. Um, another team that I always love to talk about: freaking Wolves, man. <laughs> they're on another level. Third, had... third right now, and they're scoring goals. They're kind of they had a rough start in the beginning, but um, they've built off it really well. They're a pretty team to watch. I mean, they. They've done a good job of understanding when players had to go and replacing them. They've done good business in this window when you think of like that word as far as, yeah. hey, so this player's going to go. This team wants it, wants this player. This player wants to move on. Like 
they have done good business by letting those players go and then do, doing good business bringing people in. They've got like hit by the injury bug a little with like Johnny and and some of the attacking guys in the past, but yeah. Johnny's almost back and the rest of the team seems healthy. Semedo looks good. Like that's a Barca signing that was kind of overlooked. Definitely. And in their system, they can beat people forget they can beat anybody. This did like they they've played well against the big six in the past. And I don't think they've lost too much. Like Yota mm-hmm. Yota's Diego Yota is great. Like he's that's a big loss, but Podence has stepped into those shoes pretty well with another goal contribution today too. Yeah, that was big. That was big. He's really good 1v1. Or yesterday, not today. Or, yeah, not today. Yeah, yesterday. 2-0, right? Um, yeah. He and is... Norty, the French dude, scored. Left back, left wing back. Really? He's a yeah. new guy, right? Yeah. Uh, Ike. Ryan Ike Norty. Ryan Ike. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ike mm-hmm. Norty? It's like the E with I the – yeah. yeah. Oh, French. I 19 years old. Man, oh, man. Yeah. So, guy. like, I think that, like, Wolves is looking good. Wolves are looking yeah. good. Their midfield is a little old and slow. And, I mean, don't think it hurts too much when you're playing a block of three in the back. But, yeah, like, Neves and Matinho are class. But it's – I mean, that's their system. I think yes. that's their system. It's a system that, as when it works, it works quite well for them. They, they have a good style of play, too. They, they're pretty simple. Yeah. They, and then they let their skilled players get more involved in the, in the pace of play. So that's a that's a fun one to watch. Yeah. Um, let's see. I mean, like, another thing about Wolves too them. is, unfortunately, like, yeah, they've been good, but Adama for Adam Adama Traore hasn't really had good year. He hasn't had a goal or an assist. Yeah. And Nuno doesn't really play him. I think if you started him, they could have a little. If people were just saying, well, wouldn't you want with like a striker like Raúl Jiménez? Wouldn't you want? Uh, Potence and, and Adam on either wing going in to, to give him service into the box. Wouldn't you want that? But yeah, why? Yeah, was, I, I don't know. He starts Neto over him. Who's yeah, like great Neto's player. very good. That's one thing. But I think Neto could play in the midfield more instead of a wing back style and or winger. I think yeah. Neto's good in the wings, but I think he's he's a good he's good when he has the ball more. And so if I think if they're giving him tight situations in the midfield, he'll be he'll be accessible to to giving Royal Humanes more access to goal. But yeah. I mean they're doing well, so I'm I'm glad they are. I think I hope to see more of a Damatraore. That guy is so fun to watch. He's a different type of machine. Um but um yeah. Um now wolves look good. Wolves do look good. But they always look good in that sense like they're they're usually seventh eighth. Yeah, but they've only been in the the prem for like four or five years. I mean, it's not it's not like they're yeah. they're an old kind of team that's sat in the prem for the middle of the prem for right. years and years now. I think they they're still establishing themselves, and I think this is this is one of their big mini. It's kind of like Leicester. They're like, all right, we've, we're gonna we're gonna we've kind of been here long enough to start imposing ourselves a little better. We figured it out more yeah, and more, yeah. kind of because there's a financial st- situation that's just different. When you're in the Premier League, there's you're just making more money, so you have more access to that. You have um, you have more viewership, so you have players who automatically are just going to want to come play for you because you're playing in the Premier League and not in the Championship. So there's there's that's definitely helped them a lot, and I think they've adjusted really well, and you can see it now. They're they're third in the Prem. I agree. You see more of them. 
Yeah, let's talk about. We got to talk about Spurs a little before the. Game. I was gonna say yeah before we finish this up. <laughs> we got to talk about I Spurs. I mean, the thing about Tottenham is, at the end of the day, it's it's not like becoming of Spurs to win a title, and I think this is the first year since the year Leicester won the title that Spurs have had a little bit of a feeling of oh Spurs fans are like wow with Mourinho and with all these signings we can win a title, but I think that display against West Ham showed reminded me in a sense that like as much as we can talk about the signings and the management and what's happening this like this Premier League season is all over the place and if Spurs continue to just have a kind of reputation of giving up leads or playing poorly against bad teams it's nothing's going to change and i mean Kane and Son are looking like a world class duo for the ages they're 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 on course to break a record this season yeah. Most goal contributions between two players in a given season is um, a lot. Thirteen. They're on pace to get there. Easily. The record is thirteen, and I think 13? they have thirteen assisted from one, scored by the other, or other, or vice versa. Yeah, yeah. And they they have nine, I think. Yeah, they could definitely do it. I think. I think they could do it unless they, one of them gets hurt, or they one of them out. gets hurt, of course, or they they. Um, but I think what they're if all goes to plan, assuming that there's yeah. no injuries, which is not assumption you should make, um, they, they're yeah, they're doing so well. It's it's fun to see. I said last time we were talking about this playing that, good football. That yes, it's very pretty to watch. Um, I said yeah. some about this like Harry Kane. I had my doubts, and I think rewatching him, I definitely he solidifies me as one of the top three nines in the world, if not the best mm. at his best. Um, mm. He. He's very fucking good on the ball, and he's very his, good with his space. He's good at his finding ability space. To play, his, yeah, his yes. ability to play with the ball and play every aspect of the ball is, is coming through this year. Yes. You see in the games, he's not just scoring or hanging the box. His ability to distribute, like pundits have started saying, he looks like Dennis Bergkamp in the sense that, yes, he's a good nine, but it's not a nine in the traditional sense of I'm a finisher. To nine, I will find the best way to finish. And if that's me, I will make that decision because I'm probably the best finisher because he, his class. Yeah, he knows, yeah. Like, in that sense. But it's also his ability to play both sides of the ball. He's, he's a true kind of moving more into a captain role. And I think he's learned this from the English team. And he has, like, a goal line clearance uh, last weekend against Burnley yeah. to save the lead on the goal line. Like, He's had, like, tackles, like, in blocks in the box of corners. Like, he's, he's playing all sides of the ball, and I think that shows something for him. But whether it means something for Spurs, is, we'll see. Yeah, we'll just have to find out uh, as the season continues to go on. Something that has been a shame about Spurs is you're, you guys on paper could win the league. You look at, you look at yeah. your depth right now um, with, with your outside backs. That was a big problem. You've just now got uh, Doherty and – and Reguilon, you've got your center backs kind of doing what they're best at, in a sense. Um, you've got a lot of really good attacking midfielders. You've got a couple defensive midfielders that were huge, like um, Hoiberg, mainly. Sissoko, Hoiberg Sissoko, Hoiberg. And then your front three could be the best in the world if Bale steps the fuck up. That's what's been bothering me. Bale is not doing what Bale, Bale is, can do. I think Tottenham fans braced for this in a way. Spurs fans braced for this because – they knew that this bail is not the bail that left. Oh, that, yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it's so long. 
but he's still been disappointing even if you're holding him to that exactly. standard. Even if you hold him to the fact that he's developed as a player and improved, he's not showing it. That's for fucking sure. Yeah. I mean, he created a great chance against West Ham, and then he just missed. And I was like, Shanked come it. on, man. Come on. And then he almost had we, that That would have been 4-2. That yeah. would have been 4-2 in that game. Exactly. We exactly. wouldn't have given up that lead. So it's it's something like that where you just gotta you gotta be able to step into those those tough situations and and be the big man score and he's not I don't know he's just not proving it right now. It's confusing it because Mourinho's been starting him in the in the Europa League on Thursdays mm-hmm. and it's like at the end of the day get him fit start him for prem games and if you need to take him off at sixty or fifty five bring on a Bergwijn a Lucas Moura that will be fine. Yeah, but I don't want. There. It doesn't make sense to, to, to prioritize the Europa League in the group stage when Bale should be getting fit for yeah. prime games and, and try to get firing again. I think he can work with, with, with Kane and Son. Absolutely. I mean, you look at the, what Kane has shown. He could be a false nine if he wanted to be. I don't yeah. think he does yeah. want to be, but that's an option that you could have and Bale on the right, right, Son on the left. That's an option right there. And that's probably the image that everyone has, even I have. Of, yeah. of of what an ideal Spurs top three right there. But then you obviously have Bergwijn, Carlos Vinicius, um, um, well, Los Celso's in the midfield, but uh, Mora, Lucas Mora, and yeah. uh, Lamella like, when he's doing well. You, you have like, options. You have options is what I'm saying. Yeah. More than the depth is there for, for – Yeah, for, so it sucks that you still manage – you guys still manage – not you guys, I guess, but the, the team still managed to pull off some, some – Re, uh, reputational losses and ties. Or I guess ties mainly. Um, not losses. I mean, I think the losses, Everton game, ties. Everton have proven to be good. Yeah, yeah. But ties for the, the most Newcastle, part, ties the Newcastle tie was The Newcastle tie was frustrating because it was a last-minute pen for a Vard handball yeah. before they started scaling back on the Vars. Like, this was not a pen at all. And uh, Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, but even, even like um, – the but West Ham game. I mean, that was just so old. That's Spurs. just a capitulation. That's that was a capitulation, capitulation of the in, of the in, from the inside, in in one of the most extreme ways. I mean, yes, props to West Ham, but yeah. Yeah. that wasn't. Lanzini goal was was that was world class. Strike. That was and ridiculous. It just hurt because I couldn't really appreciate it. I was upset. You're on the <laughs> other side. <laughs> I was upset. Of course, of course. Um. Yeah. That starts with like an own goal, like a poor set piece, of course, yeah. against West Ham, and then an own goal, and then it's done. Yeah, it's, it's like it's, it's frustrating. It's very sad to see that kind of falling apart sometimes. Um, yeah, I think I think you have luck can start going your way. I mean, that's a thing. It's not like luck is just a thing you earn. It happens. It comes. Right. Right. So right. if you guys access that luck in some way and you know use it in the best way. That would be great to watch. I hope it doesn't happen against Liverpool, but everyone else, go right the fuck ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just the door is open. And I, I, when you guys are good, yeah, it's really fun to watch. So I, I hope it improves uh, for the best, if anything. What do you predict tomorrow against Brighton? Against Brighton? Oh, you guys against Brighton? Um, hosting, hosting Brighton. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly don't take into account the, the fact that one team is hosting or not. I think yeah. it does I mean, such yeah, a I think it, difference. It, I think it's, it's a travel. The only thing is the travel. Yeah, the only true. tangible thing. That's true. So I mean, there's compressed schedules. It's a bit. Yeah, yeah. Bit. There's an effect. I think. I think it's it's different though, for sure, than yeah. having fans there without fans. So yeah. sure. I mean, even that. I think still. I think Brighton has been disappointing. That's something I we I somehow yeah. managed to overlook. Is like 
come on now. <laughs> I thought they you play good football better. too. Exactly, but they're not they're not sustaining this this level of pressure on the top sides that they used to have. And um, I don't know. I think I think Spurs pull it off. I think they just even if Brighton Neil goes off. <laughs> Mopai. Mopai, yeah, I'd love to see I, I, Neil. I got Mopai in fantasy. You do? Oh yeah. Mopai Let's get this fantasy after this. But um, yeah, tomorrow I think you guys pull off a win. I'd say it's either going to be like a one nil or. Uh, like a three-one or something. Like you could, if if it goes to plan, I think Son and Kane could do something brilliant again. On that note, I mean, I agree. Or, yeah, what do you think? Actually, I didn't. I mean, I I I I, I don't think we'll keep a clean sheet. We played Spurs played pretty poorly in Belgium at Antwerp. Oh yeah, and Thursday and lost one nil, and it was a defensive mistake, and that's that happens every once in a while, but. To lose that kind of game was not reassuring. So I think no. do think Brighton will score. Brighton's offense does come through, but they're I mean, obviously their possession teams they should score more, but yeah. I think they, they will because Spurs back line isn't great yet. But I think Spurs will win. Harry yeah. Kane, Son Son is Brighton play with the high line and Son has shown that he can score against high lines with the Southampton mm-hmm. game, with the man U game in a sense. They take so pressure well offensively. They can pre- – yeah, 3-1 one, is a good one. one. Yeah. Yeah. Could be four, honestly. It could be four. <laughs> if, they, if they go off – If Kane like, and Son go, go yeah. be a good game, they could. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Manu Arsenal. Oh, oh Manu Arsenal, yeah. That's – yeah, before we get into um, – Shout out to Barkin. Bark and Dubé. Bark and Dubé. Yeah, <laughs> that's big, gonna be big game tomorrow. Boys. I think if I think if I think if uh, Manu win, they jump Arsenal. So that's gonna be big. Dude, they Arteta is Arteta's Arsenal. So it's so defensive. It's not fun to watch. I, so he's boring. taking Alba out of the team or out of the game, not out of the team. Yeah. But it's 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 tough to watch. It's very boring in the same way when Man City were kind of at their worst, but still playing that style. It was like they were doing it well, but it was so fucking boring to watch. Like just the constant kind of working it up the side, but then not yeah. involving not involving their star players in a way that you should, because they're one of the best in their in the world in their position and in the league in their position. And to just disassociate them in this style of play, just is is kind of. I mean, it's working kind of. They've lost, but I mean, it can. I think this – I basically what I was going to say is that Arteta might be the, the wrong guy for this if he's going to keep doing this. Yeah. But if he doesn't, if he doesn't and he continues to learn and adjust like a good manager should do, he, he, could, he, could, he could do something. I hope, I hope it gets better. I think Man you suck, so I just hope they win. I hope Arsenal win. <laughs> <laughs> They're just not good. It's, it's, everything is wrong with Manchester United right now. Also, they get, they get a lot of, like, fake, very bad calls from VAR. It's frustrating. Exactly. And I know it's not, like, I don't believe in any, like, any paying off or, like, controversy. Biases, but it's just, yeah. it's frustrating. It's frustrating. Yeah. They get a lot of stupid pen calls. And mm-hmm. the one, Brighton, speaking of Brighton and Man U, that game earlier this year when Man U won 3-2, they gave a pen after the final. It was, like, in the 100th so, minute. That they no, actually it after, took it. Yeah, but it was, it was after, after. It was yeah. after the whistle was called. They gave it was the after penalty. the whistle called the game. They varred like, it. He gave Bruno oh. Fernandez a penalty, and he celebrated to a dead ball. And I was like, "This is this is beyond 
and then yeah, I don't know. It's just it's beyond me. It's so frustrating. I think they had like twenty five penalties given to them in the season last yeah. year. And it's like, are you serious? That's not even fun. You're just scaring people to play them now because they're just getting yeah. if they get in the box, they just fall into penalty or handball or whatever. Yeah. And so much of Bruno's like goal scoring pedigree comes from pens. It comes from the ability to create penalties, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't shit on them without having to acknowledge that, like, yes, everyone has been using it the best they can. Yeah. Like, look at Liverpool. I mean, Sadio or Mo Salah, the penalty given today, like, nah, it's probably not a pen. <laughs> it's in, in, but the the way he sold it and the way Masawaku reacted, which was like yeah. so stupid. He just stood there. It's like just yeah. kick the ball or something. Like, make it look like it's yeah. not a foul. But he stood there, like, what? Yeah. And he was just mad. But it makes sense. I mean, yeah, you hate flopping, so. But in his case, like, that was something that you're like, all right, that was a little soft, but they're going to give it to you at the end of the day. And that's, it what makes do, it hard What do you think about with. the VAR decision today with Diego Yota's first goal? That was kind of annoying, but it made sense. I mean, his, but like, what was the, what knee, foul did they, Sadio's left Was leg, it an offside or a foul? It was a foul on, on Sadio Mane fouled okay. on Bono. He, he put his left knee – he slid – so he slid with his right out and his knee bent, his left knee bent, and the momentum – And his right went under Fabianski, Yes, right? and his yeah. left went uh, – sweeped, the I think, the left leg, the front, Obana? the leading leg of Obana, and that let him yeah, okay. fall more easily. So it made sense, and I was like, hmm. Like, if you – if I was – Then like, again, without VAR, that's a goal. That's a goal. Without – yes, without VAR, that's a goal. No question. I think that's a goal. maybe you could argue it because he did la- slide into a goalie and they'll argue that. But you see, yeah. like, Fabianski gets there. He can try to actually yeah. save something. So, yeah, in most cases, I'd say, yeah, that, without VAR, that's, that's, a, that's a goal without – but we won. So, okay. <laughs> it's yeah, at the end of the true. day. It was frustrating, but um, a win's a win's a win. So, um, it is Agreed. what it is. Um, Score prediction, Man U Arsenal. I'll go a. I think I think at the end of the day, Ole's squad is just far better than Arsenal's caliber, like position per position. Yeah, I think Harry Maguire is over, like yeah, the back lines are tough to compare, but attacking wise, I think Man U have a bit of an edge, and Arteta has been pretty defensive. I'm going with a. Man U 2-0. Or maybe 1-0. I'll go on Man U 1-0. It could be a low-scoring game. I don't know if Arteta changes his I think it will play. be. It, it, there's a very high chance it could be because of Arsenal doing what they're doing. But Ole, the same thing against Chelsea, 0-0 last week. Yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. But I think, I think um, Manchester United can break down Arsenal's defense if, if given the right series of touches or whatever. Like, there's a chance. But I, yeah. I can't see Arsenal breaking Manchester United down as easily, but that doesn't mean they can't. I think you, if you access Aubameyang the right way, he'll, he'll get you some goals. Uh, Pepe, Nketiah, um, Saka, a couple yeah. other players, you know. But, I think, but in the, yeah, I think, I think Manchester United could give them the, a higher chance of winning just because their, their offense will be better than their defense. Um, so I would say like three one if anything, I'd give I give United some goals, but I like I'm shaking thinking that I don't like just letting yeah. Manchester United win because Arsenal. I mean, they've they've been worse. They're not great, but um, so it's it's kind of going to be like who is at their best in this moment. Right. That's kind right. of what it's going to come down to. 
Because it's not, it's not going to be the trend. This is not going to be a telltale sign of the next five years, for example. Um, yeah. Just because these players should not be the team, the assortment of this team and the coaching and the coach is should not be the coaches that they are. If that makes True. sense. Ole and, and Arteta. And Arteta. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. Maybe Arteta. I can see more. I can see because he's still got a lot of time. Ole, Ole, absolutely not. Ole has driven the bus into the subway and then got out. He's not driving anymore. He's not driving that. He's not. He's not at the wheel. So, um, it's it that that's been a big issue. I've like stand. I stand by that. Every I talked about it with Barky and Barney, and it was the same thing. Um, so fantasy football, fantasy Premier League. Um, I am incredibly not invested in this at all. I, I'm in the same leagues as you. And as you can see, I'm, I'm either bottom or next to bottom on the list, but, um, it's been, uh, it's been interesting to see it in that perspective sometimes. Cause obviously I don't have a lot of time outside of, uh, outside of, of working. Uh, to watch these games, but when you watch the games and you look at the stats, you're looking for who scored, how well they played, yeah. and stuff. So it's yeah. in, it's like it's a weird analysis of for me, of um, of players. But um, who have been who has been your best, or who who are the best right now, guys, to have on the team? If you have like an eleven of of your best eleven. Well, there's the Spurs boys who have been like pretty much the best the entire year in attack and midfield. Yeah. Son and Kane lead all scores 69 for Son, 65 for Kane. And it's only been what, seven game weeks for them. Mm-hmm. Zuma, Saiz, these are like weird names out there, but these are just the top scores in the, in the Premier League. Salah, Bamford, Calvert-Lewin, Zaha, James, and Castagna from Leicester. Yeah. Oh, Castagna's been really good. Yeah. Yeah, but in terms of like the guys I've had who have so far been pretty good, is I've had Kane and Son since day one. Luckily, being a Spurs fan coming in, mm-hmm. it helps when your favorite team plays well early on in the season. You can have trust in them. But yeah, I think like t- players that have like risen in terms of people's like awareness towards them is yeah, oh, yeah. like DCL. Dominic Calvert-Lewin has been pretty good, and it was a hot start against like some maybe some poor opponents. But the same thing with Thomas Rodriguez. I mean, it's it's early in the fantasy year. Like people understand that like the season has been kind of unpredictable, but it's more about fun, more fun to talk about kind of the prem in terms of what teams have done well rather yeah. than fantasy. Because like the early yeah. pens too, like penalties this year have kind of made it a little more like rigid in terms of everybody wants to grab players who, who are on pens and taking pens because of the early VAR decisions. But uh, that's, that's had an effect. I think, I think the, um, yeah, I think talking about the premier league in a, in a more analytical as a, as an enjoyer of the sport than an analytical through statistics and, and yeah. fantasy is more fun. I think it's, um, I think we get, we get a better understanding of teams too, because I think looking at us as when you look at players, you're still looking at them in relation to the team versus looking at just individually what they're doing, because yeah, I mean, they got to do well individually, but they got to be doing it with a team. They're not, 
Yeah. You're not messy. You're not just driving and just taking on everyone and scoring on your own, or you're not, you know, being the only defender or being the best goalie right. or being right. whatever. So, yeah, it's definitely more fun to talk about it. Like the teams with and the individuals within each team rather than the individuals yeah. separate yeah. of their team. I mean, the big thing like that fantasy, it, the big thing that fantasy makes you think about though is also the injuries and that aspect and suspensions, that aspect, what, like how that plays into a schedule in a year. And it's been weird with Man- Man- Manchester City this year because usually they're like fantasy favorites. Aguero is always scoring a lot of goals each year. Sterling, De Bruyne, you know, these guys are, are City's winning most of these games 6-0. Like those 100-point seasons, they were destroying the bottom six teams. So, yeah. But this year, it's, it hasn't gone that way because I guess they've kind of struggled a bit. Pep's time is running a little – it seems like it's running a little low at City because his project is kind of looking – complete but there was a time when they were just scoring six six goals a game and you want those guys but they haven't been favorited it's been pretty much the Spurs boys and those those two have been the the biggest targets Calvert-Lewin too because of how hot he started yeah it's a lot of forwards currently but um yeah I mean Manchester City they're they're on a weird trend because it's it's down but it's but they've been they've been down before so they can come back yeah. from this. I mean, there's there's always room for that. I mean, they may not be able to win the league, but they they're still like when you look at the the players they had in in the 2018 season. I think they've lost company and David Silva. I think is the main core of that starting eleven. So they're not losing like ridiculous amount of players or ridiculous like David Silva was huge. Vincent Company was a big leader, but then they went on to win the league the next year and. So yeah. it, it kind of they, the fact that they managed to sustain that high level of of quality, yeah. and then last year I mean they almost I mean they didn't almost but they were second for a decent amount of it, and they, they were always fighting for second place. Um, and I think this year they'll probably be able to do the same thing. It seems like just the way I just described it, they're on a downward trend. Pep might be on his way out. That also might mean that they're just willing to wait and they trust him because he's been successful before. Yeah. But, I don't know. I, mean, I think in terms, I think in terms of early projected title race, when you have to, when you want to think about who do you think is going to win the league, yeah. I think and City have to be in any conversation you're having simply because Liverpool and City have been the two best teams in the Premier League for the past three seasons, and to ignore the fact that Van Dijk is going to be out the entire year is is not going to help your judgment of whether you think City can get the title over them. And at, at this moment. I have no clue just because of how the season's moving. But in the long term, if Aguero comes back and he's healthy, if Gabby Seuss comes back and he's healthy, if Kevin Bruyne gets fit, if Imeric Laporte and Ruben Diaz continue performing at the level they've been performing yeah. at, I think they have a decent chance at, at winning the league just because they are they have a fully fit side. I mean, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think fully Van fit. The best, Van Dyke's yeah. been the best player in the Premier League for the past two seasons. It's fair to say, though, um, I, I don't disagree with the decision of last year with Kevin De Bruyne being the player of the year. He was fucking awesome. Um, but that's Van Dyke has been Van Dyke, Van Dyke has, been, has been by far by just ability and influence on a game. Influence, influence. It's barely. It's everywhere. It's, it's just it, it spreads in a way that you don't see in anyone else, and that's why he is probably the best in that in that. For round. me, for me, Van Dyke. What comes to mind is like integral. He is an integral piece of what Liverpool are and 
what Liverpool have been in this run of undefeated home stretches. Like he is, he is an integral piece of their entire team identity. His ability to distribute, his ability to get goals, attacking returns and set pieces. And I mean, it's, he's, he's one of, he was the best player in the league the past mm-hmm. two years. Mm-hmm. I would stand by that. Yeah. He's one of it's those guys who makes it look easy and it really sucks that he had to get hurt. I mean, it's, this is probably one of his peak years and, He's still got a couple of years. He's got a good amount of time on him still. I mean, he's still going to be in Liverpool until 2024, so there's time. But um, the fact that that time was just taken off by a whole year just sucks. I mean, it just yeah, limits the I number. Agree. So that's a shame. I hope he comes back stronger and continues to be goaded in that sense. Yeah. But, um, yeah, fucking Premier League gets like – Sad sometimes because you're like, damn. No, it does. No, but it, it was for me. I I was trying to just. Well, it's it more sadness. It was more frustration towards yes, Pittsburgh yeah. because I was I was really frustrated at his decision to. I mean, he obviously didn't want to hurt him, but it was just a frustrating decision. Yeah, it sucks because yeah, you know, it wasn't like a a malicious tackle. He wasn't like, ah, this guy, fuck him. It was. It was. I'm going to try and get this ball. I'm also kind of an idiot and I make mistakes as people do, but I, I'm going to two foot the fuck out of this guy shin level and fly in. It's like, okay, there's a, there's a level of like there there's, there's stupid mistakes and then there's a maliciousness and he was definitely more on the stupidity side, but it sucks that it sucks that it had to be him. It sucks that it had to be Van Dyke and it sucks that it had to be against Everton that like adds some fuel to the Evertonian fire, even though it's yeah, I know. a very small flame. Did he have to get, did Pickford have to get bodyguards? Oh. Uh, I don't know about bodyguards. No, I just knew he didn't get it. I've heard that he had to get bodyguards after and the game. Because... I just know like the police were kind of, um, Merseyside police were kind of, or I guess Liverpool city police. They were uh, looking for specific people, or I guess arrested some people or charged or something, uh, specific people that were sending out like, pretty negative tweets um, calling it hate speech and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Probably hate speech, but like he's, it's going to happen. It's not like this is an isolated event. It's not like this has happened. It's not an anomaly, dude. The shit I see on Twitter of people ripping on specific players, Jordan Pickford's more, more specifically. um, It's, it's nuts that that was, that was taken really seriously though. I mean, that was something that, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't blame him. I mean, he's a human being. He's got all rights to be to be scared. He's just got – he's doing the things that we're saying. I don't know exactly what we're saying, but it was a lot of threats more than anything. Okay. So, a lot of Liverpool fans just very mad about um, what he did to Van Dyke because, like you just said, he's been one of the – he's been the best player in the Premier League for the past two years. Yeah. And it's like now you just deleted him from the equation. Yeah. That always, I mean, that it's always frustrating. It is frustrating. But I think looking on, I wanted to talk about potential relegation. It's, it seems kind of clear that like there's, oh, there's yeah. a couple of teams who just can't get points. Sheffield, I think, is at one point with Fulham and, and Burnley. Sheffield, Burnley, and Fulham are yeah, the, the biggest. The weirdest story. thing is I think West Brom, who have three draws, who are also winless, yeah. like they – look worse in a way than Burnley and Sheffield simply because Sheffield, like they both had great seasons last year. They were both like yeah. almost first half of the table last year. 
but I think Fulham are probably going down. But in that sense, if it's Fulham, West Brom, who is that 13th? So Fulham, I think it, West Brom, it's hard to say. I think because Brighton, Newcastle, yeah, Crystal Palace. Yeah, there's a lot of – I mean, for all we know, Aston Villa could be, lose every single game in the season after this. That's a, <laughs> that's a very possible reality. Not realistic, but it's, it's something that could happen. I'm not saying it's going <laughs> to. I don't see it happening at all either. But something like that, I'm not – so, honestly, I think unless Sheffield and Burnley can't cha- act up, which I think Sheffield will be able to more than Burnley. Burnley seem like they just can't fix the issue that they have yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, especially because this transfer window is closed. And I think this, and so they'll need the tra- the January one, and then maybe they'll do better. But that's still already halfway through the season, yeah. so they're, they're kind of stuck. But I think, yeah, I would say Fulham are not going to get much better. I mean, they're that 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 left wing who is just nasty, Tyler, not Tyler. Uh, Lookman, Adamola Lookman, Adam, yeah, Adamola Lookman. He's yeah. nasty. He's, He's an individual beauty, but you can't yeah. ride on one player. So yeah. I think and Mitrovic. I mean, Mitrovic, Mitrovic should have should be better this year. He's been missing he chances and He's pens giving and himself stuff. chances. That's the weird thing. It's missed a like pen too. Yeah, in the year exactly. when people aren't missing many pens. Exactly. So yeah, West Brom don't seem like they have a lot of room for improvement. No, there's always room for improvement, but the realistic kind of. Where they're yeah. going to push it, not going to get much better. So, yeah, Fulham. Slavon Bilic is West a good Brom. coach, and he's done it before. But I yeah. just, they, they don't have that many, like, class players. They're a championship they, Yeah, you need – like, Ivanovic was Except actually for Pereira. a really good signing. Mateus Pereira. Pereira is a, nasty. He's is, unbelievable. He's one of the more skillful players in the yes, entire league. Yes, But that's, that's a, like, a very realistic thing to see in, in any team because he's an individual player. And that the yeah. fact that he can stand yeah. out like that is awesome, and he's doing it really well. I think Ivanovic was a big signing and just the presence yeah, of a, of a yeah. uh, and Callum Robinson has kind of helped, but I think the fact that Ivanovic has won a title might help, but they need players like that. Not necessarily guys that have won titles, but guys who have been in the Premier League that come in and help yeah. this Premier League squad. So have been successful in the Premier League. Exactly. And have been successful. They know, they know what to bring together. And I guess my third, I guess Burnley. Yeah, no, I guess Fulham, Burnley, and uh, West Brom. Would be my my relegation sides. Um, I think the sneaking sneaky ones are Newcastle and Brighton. Brighton, yeah. As much as they get possession, like they make errors and they just they make have a, a lot pretty of bad mentality. Like they dominate games against like other bottom six, bottom seven sides in terms of possession, but they yeah. don't create any chances and they defend pretty poorly when they lose the ball. Yeah, I mean that you saw that with Everton. When they played, they lost 4-2, and they just got broken down once they lost the ball. They yeah. made mistakes, and they just capitulated on themselves like that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, Brighton definitely could. West, I mean, um, uh, Newcastle, I don't know because – Newcastle are suspect. They're not that They're good. very suspect. That's what I think. I agree with you. Yeah. They're, they're kind of an enigma right now because they're riding on some penalties. Right. But then you look at, like, Manchester United. They rode on penalties for most games. So all you, for all we know, like this could be Newcastle's penalty year. It could Maybe. be. It could be they just they just stay up just high enough to be able to stay in with just penalties to score. They they Definitely. had a surprising early win though against uh, West Ham. Yeah, which is did. like West Ham kind of kind of that that was interesting to see for them because it was like early on, but then they pulled out these like nuts wins on like Wolves, Leicester. 
and and then they performed well against Spurs and it's weird. It was weird. I mean, it's really played, weird. They played yeah. well against you guys today, City last week. Yeah, City. Yeah, one that's one. a that's an enigma of a game in terms of this season because I don't think Newcastle are good, and they of course had a pen in that game. I'm sure. No, they didn't. Wow. No. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. But think think about Newcastle. They look suspect. I I like Saint Maximin, but he can't really survive in a. Steve's run system where yeah. like, he's playing a deep line. And, yeah, and he sits so – He's class. He's, he's so class. good. That guy is levels ahead of the rest of the squad. Bro. It's, it's fun to watch him on the ball. Fun. He's so pacey and he's so quick and he's so creative. Yeah, he's imaginative. He's so creative. It's just – So creative. It's he's like a, if, you gave, hmm? if you gave Adama, Adama Traore less physicality but more trickery. Yes, absolutely. Same more jump, in a sense. He, he runs like he's skating, Adamo. A maximum is kind of always ready. It's like Neymar in that sense, in that jumpy yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Neymar does the same kind of stuff. He gets so creative, and he's given, yeah. he gives himself a lot of time. And he's also a great passer. Obviously, Maximin, St. Maximin has a lot of time to develop, and he might not ever peak that, yeah. like, reach that level. But he's showing signs, and he's got time. Yeah. So I, I hope if he goes to a better team, he can do it. He can probably be given even more time on the ball and given more access to to parts of the field that he's not really given with Newcastle's current situation. So true, it's true. A tough one, tough one for him. What about? I wanted to talk about Leeds and and Patrick Bamford. Bamford with yeah, the passer. I, I was waiting for you. Patrick Bamford. Patrick Bamford. Yeah, he's really he's doing he's doing really well. He's just kind of doing like the classic weird. striker style. It's odd. No one expected it. He's, he's yeah. kind of showing up right now. Lee, I he's love also kind of a sneaky – he's a sneaky lefty too. Like he scored all three goals with his left yeah. the other day. One was a rebound. One was like a pure power, like Kane-looking strike. And one was like genius footwork with a like finesse finish. And they're all finesse. left. He's all a sneaky lefty. lefty. Yeah. He's under – he's failed in the Prem before. He played for Chelsea. Yeah. Played for a couple like other teams in the Prem before. I think Middlesbrough maybe when they came I'm up not, recently. I'm not exactly sure. So he's, he's, he's had he's experience, not, but this is yeah, probably his best experience. Yeah. Easily his best season. I think, I think, he, I think he's one of, a good example of a person that fits really well into a system. So it doesn't matter how Bielsa. good you are. I think if you do – yeah, Bielsa system. Marcelo. Really interesting. Bielsa. Marcelo he might be, Bielsa. He might be the best, he might be the best manager in the Prem, like honestly. Right now. So the big six, big six managers yeah. aren't – like Klopp is great. Klopp probably is still the best. Yeah. Ancelotti might challenge him for the year. But I think, dude, Bielsa bringing this Leeds team in this year with no fear, no kind of changing their style to fit the Premier League. They've no, come just, proud. And his, you hard. see his coaching. Like yeah. Pep, Pep has said he's learned from Bielsa. Like Marine, like all these coaches. <laughs> yeah, all these coaches have learned from him. And he's had a, such a heavy influence on the game as well outside of his, his individual seasons. Right. And Because he, he, he has this super intensely analytical – but also with the playing style is like intensely heavy pressure with a, a good dose of, of possession with a good dose of simple play directness yeah. that works in a way that requires yeah. a lot of fitness out of these players. Like you see them, they've, they've run a lot. There's players that are ailing that guy. I don't know how I always see him on the field everywhere. Just everywhere. all Parsons. 
Same thing um, with Stuart Dallas. Too. Exactly. Stuart Dallas. Calvin Phillips is very good at sitting in, though. He kind of yeah. takes the space. He got hurt. Lost. He got hurt, though. He's out for Oh, he did? Oh, that's too bad. Which was which was what made their Villa win and Patrick Bamford's Patrick more, much more impressive. Yeah, was I didn't he was out he for that hurt. game. Yeah. He was he was hurt for that game. Wow. But um yeah, they're they're gonna be a good side. But he's he's people call him the Yorkshire Pirlo. And I don't even think he was that like he's been that good, but I nickname. guess he's like that because he sits deep and he likes to ping the ball. That's the style. No. That's the style that Pirlo yes. was. He just he's, drops balls up ahead. He's anywhere integral. He he's like as as VVD is to Liverpool. Phillips kind of is to Leeds and Bielsa's style. The of play. He's, he's yeah. integral. He's integral. Exactly. Um, but I wouldn't give him Pirlo status just yet. Pirlo also did not run around very much. He was a pretty inactive defender. Yeah. He kind of passes. Phillips is a pretty defend. good defender. He likes to defend more. He's putting himself yeah. in positions more that help him defend more than just being a, a Pirlo type. But he's a different player than Pirlo. Not everyone plays exactly the same as another legend. They, they kind of change. Yeah. So yeah. games change. Do you think oh. Villa can stay good? For the rest of the year, like top ten on the table at the end of the season, do you think they're that's a tough kind of... one? That's a tough one because. Or do you think the early results are all kind of shams? I don't think they're shams necessarily. I think that was definitely a good shining side to them. I don't know if there's if they get injuries. I don't think they'll do well at all. I think that's kind of my my easiest take. But if they continue to maintain the the. Uh, these healthy healthy players and maintain them at a high rate. I think they'll do really well. I don't think they'll win or put in top four, maybe be top six. It'd be really cool if they were top four for them, but I don't see them. Dude, I, don't, I, don't know. I don't know. I don't think they can keep it going for that long. Like just continue yeah. to win. I don't think they get ties. Look at a lot of draws. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think their back line really helps them. Their back line has been yeah. like it has outperformed it's expected goals against and like those kinds of stats is to outperform those, but yeah. still those clean sheets getting like three clean sheets in the first five games is, is pretty impressive. That's for sure. They, they, they were three out of four before last week at least. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're in a, they're in an interesting situation cause they could be, <clears throat> it could be starting to settle into this. Like we could just defend really well mindset and right that might not be the only thing they'll, that they're good at yet, and they right. might have to find that out. Um, right. But for now, it's working. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see them doing what they're doing. I didn't want it to happen against us. Jack Grealish. Jack is Grealish a class. is a fun guy to watch. He's really he's, good on the ball. He's insane. He's yeah. the most foul player in the Premier League last year. Yeah, because he just puts himself in these, like, he just beats you and then gets right around you where you can still right. get to him, but right. not the ball. <laughs> right. It's right. like, it's weird. Because he's not very fast. He's just kind of quick he's, and good he's maneuver smart. of the ball. He's really smart. Mm-hmm. He's incredibly smart. He's creative. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's, I mean, the creativity is there, but he's, he's intellectual with his body placement and yeah. how your body is touching his. He's... He's very advanced in his thought process with regard to dribbling in and around the box. I mean, he's a genius. When you watch him on the ball, he's got that classic winger dribble style, but he's not mm-hmm. doing it at a high pace. He's mm-hmm. putting, he's doing it kind of controlled and slowed down, and right. that's right, right, where right, he right. allows to get fouled. But he allows you to get fouled because he he bring he sucks you in, and then he's just like ah bye, just quick yeah. quick shift, just quick enough yeah. to keep you away, and then cause a foul. It's impressive. 
Um, I mean, they've, they've outperformed. When you think of their team, like, yeah, Ollie Watkins is good, great signing from Brentford, but even then, the other side is what, Trezeguet and then Douglas Louise, McGinn, and Ross Barkley. Like, that's a fine team. Yeah. Like, are they good enough to challenge for top seven, top eight in the Premier League? Probably not. I think they could challenge for minimum. I mean, uh, uh, like, of their high expectations, I think they're, they'll push between a six and an eight at the highest. But I don't think they'll get there realistically, but that's something they could definitely do. I think they, they, could, could, they, they could. could pull off some stuff because they, they've been impressive, and I think they can, they can still do that. They'll definitely be able to have some shine here and there because they're professionals. But I don't think they'll. Yeah. I don't think they'll be that consistent for that yeah, long. I just, I, it's it's really not feasible with such a a limited squad like that. Like if you lose, if you get injuries, it gets it gets pretty pretty bad pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind that's of a, that's, that's yeah, and it's but something interesting about about uh, this adversity, kind of coping with adversity in uh, in in professional soccer, is that. It's, it's entirely psychological and kind of – and, like, the mm. philosophy of the team kind of plays in a lot seriously. But there's also this, like, added weight that you'll see with, um, with these professionals. I guess with Premier League players, for instance, there's, there's this, like, added pressure that they have from, from within the club, from within the community, and then from social media – that we never really account for. And it's that like they're followed every single hour of every day, all their social media stuff. Like if they were to post their entire lives, people would watch. That's how connected these people are to their situations. So Mm -hmm. like um, surrounding uh, the soccer world, but then also surrounding just their day to day, like you'll always see just random posts of uh or like and it used to be more on twitter but now it's more on instagram and like people people just are are constantly um they're constantly having like a um a huge spectacle on them that is that is something that that we don't really like that's hard i mean you you just think about you think about day to day um imagine like giving a speech you you have to stand up in a bunch in front of a bunch of people and speak words that make sense to a, pe- a group of people that may not all agree with you. Now yeah. apply that to an even big the world stage, and you're also using your physical body, and you're actually and people yeah. are saying like you don't no one cares what you have to say, when that's just BS. But they're they're given like this this they're put on a pedestal but it's not one that you can kind of reach out to they're one that's kind of got a tube going up through it and they they have to be restrained to this perfect model human being as a perfect athlete and is the model citizen and it's interesting to see like with the lack of fans in in the games do you think that weight is dropping for them Hmm. i like that take I mean, sure. I mean, you're seeing as weird as this season's been. Yes, COVID's played its role, but I think the biggest role COVID has impacted in the game is having no fans. The players, the the idea of like a momentum shift is kind of all but gone. But it's weird because the other side of it has, of no fans being there has affected players' consistency. 
player's ability to make a play in a given moment, knowing there are 50,000 people, 30,000 people sitting around them, like invested in them. Like, like all these things contribute to the pressure that they play with on the field. But I think at the end of the day, knowing that they're at this level because they are the best at what they do anyway means not all that shifts. But then you do see the like kind of slow, methodic type guys who are like not only here in the prem, but in the in in the in the bubble. You saw like TJ Ward exploded, Devin Booker exploded. Like this, the kind of mentality shift having no fans. It's yeah. good for some players who might not. I think love like what you're saying, having the noise, emotional the emotion, pressure. Yeah. The investment of the time and energy that people put into you to be who you are. Yeah. I think it depends on the team in the prem. It does depend on the team for sure. Um, I think though it's pretty unified on like how supportive everyone is of each other. I think there's levels yeah. to them. There's a spectrum, but for the most part, everyone will sing, will chant and will celebrate when you score and then yeah. support you and, I mean, but there's also some fans that are pretty, pretty negative, cursing a lot. So there's, there's, there's multiple aspects to that. But when I, what I was thinking more of like when, um, <clears throat> for example, the fact that the, the teams have to, the, I guess that the momentum shifts that have to occur at all, if they do occur within your own squad. I think we talked about this before. We talked about how, at Amherst, we, we kind of build on each other. I think maybe, maybe it was with, with a, in a different episode, but um, I basically, like you think about when we, in, in college soccer, we play every game with like 10 fans maximum sometimes. And then we'll have sometimes a lot of our friends show out and stuff. But for the most part, we'll have like very limited amount of fans. I think maybe it's ri- risen because of our levels gotten better. But for the most part, right, right, not right. consistent. And so the energy comes from Blue Steel. And I think there's been a huge uh, – I guess w- with Blue Steel is that it's like the bench players that wear blue pennies, and we, we, we give each other this energy because we're constantly yelling, we're supporting, we're, we're giving off the energy that we want to be giving off if we, even if we weren't, were or weren't on the field. Um, and I think that's something that you'll see – we've seen in the Premier League uh, since they've come back but with no fans – is this you're here yeah. when you hear like they're scoring kind of you can actually tell how loud it is in there because obviously there's compressed sound with the stadiums but you can hear when mm-hmm. their bench and their management and every, everyone of like the 50 people that are entirely present in the in the stadium i think i guess 25 of them would be super like you're hearing them as loud as they can and they're so right. supportive of one another right. Right. so that's interesting to see like they're because they're already probably very confident players because they're professional soccer players. They're, they're on this stage that is bigger than anything we've ever seen really before. And their, um, their ability to still be normal people and support each other and not be this like cocky kind of self pushing up and you, I don't care about attitude. Um, It's been, it's been interesting to see, like you see, a connectedness with some teams that might lack in others. And that's where they kind of depend on the fans more. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, you see, but also another aspect we can think about is would Burnley and Sheffield be where they are at the table if they had fans? Probably not. Those two we teams. Know. We never know. Those two teams rely so much on the idea of what you're saying, energy. 
energy from fans, energy being at home, whatever. Like they're not only their their work rate, but their identities come from like we're gonna have this deep line block. We're gonna frustrate you, and we're gonna use our energy and outwork you, and we're gonna win. I mean, I think that they miss the fans. Is this why they're doing worse? We don't know, but I think teams like that miss fans a lot. Yeah, that's definitely for sure, especially in a, a style of play that builds on confidence in a way that you see, like like you said, with Burnley and Sheffield. They they kind of get into the rhythm. You see it with Liverpool, too. I mean, obviously, Liverpool are kind of miles ahead in just their quality. But when you look at their – even their, just their day, game to game, you see there's like a lack – I mean, there's a very good connectedness with these players, but there's a lack of of that – just extra step of energy that you see with like 75,000 fans screaming your name. That's stuff like that. Just the, the pure noise, just being in a condensed area with all these people and they're watching you. That's something that, that they probably, I mean, I think as a professional player, they, they've managed to, they, they managed to um, disassociate from the noise in a way that could be negative, but rather just be aware of it. And they kind of just, They'll, they'll, they'll ride the wave when they want to, but they won't let it really knock them down. Obviously, that's not right. a letting thing. It just happens a lot with your emotions, but it's something that, I guess, <laughs> ties into what I was talking about before the podcast and I've mentioned before in, the, in previous episodes of like mindfulness and the, the idea of meditation. I'm pretty sure they meditate. I'm pretty sure there, there's definitely some, there's yoga, obviously, but that, that's for the more physical stuff. But then I think there's got to be some, use of mindfulness practice that these players must do obviously not just sitting in silence or focusing on breathing maybe in other formats maybe through conversations or or just listening to someone talk or maybe listening to podcasts or listening to to music or listening to this that or the other but it's really getting in touch with with that awareness of self and aware and, and be able to be presently in the moment of the, the game and not start worrying about, oh my God, the fans are going to kill me or, oh my God, the press is going to smash into me if I don't, if I don't score a goal. Right. Right. It's pretty interesting that they, they may, it doesn't seem like it because, I mean, we don't know everything about everyone's life. We don't need to know everything about their lives. But it, it makes me wonder, like, do they, you think they're messing around with some of that stuff? I think it would I mean, not messing if, around. If, if there was any time they were, they were ever trying to focus more on mindfulness, it would be now. Like this kind of post-COVID league they're trying without fans is probably the weirdest settings most of these guys have ever played a full yeah. season of soccer under. So I think, yeah, if there's ever a time to try and experiment or try and improve your mindfulness, because obviously meditating and being mindful will help you in game with focus penalties yeah. like thinking for so many different facets of a game like Salah probably does mm-hmm. i would imagine i think i think there's a big component in religion when we talked about before religion has has their negative manifestations but they're kind of grounded in a, an ideally positive self uh self-fulfilling ideologies and i think in and i know in, in islam there's actually a big there's some there's a good amount of um i don't know, I don't know the amount exactly i don't i'm not learned in this but i've heard about it enough that i think there's definitely some a practice of meditation and mindfulness that is incorporated in with praying and and 
being um, invested in in, uh, in Islam. So it's pretty interesting to see that maybe maybe that's. I mean, I think I don't know about. I don't know exactly the day to day, but I'm pretty sure. I think like prayer is could definitely considered a kind of idea of mindfulness because you're you're having an interaction. It's a relationship with with the the other side of um, mm-hmm. you and and whoever it may be, whatever whatever ideology or or figurehead or kind of um, counterpart it may be. Um, but yeah, I mean, you don't see, so one thing, I guess we talked about how Buddhism is, is a pretty cool religion. As to yeah, Buddhism. It. It's, it's just a very um, kind of, it's probably one of the most open-minded and positive and kind of self-reforming and self-restoring uh, practices in religion that we've seen. And, I've, and I wonder, because it's a very Eastern and it's kind of very specific to certain people unless they're kind of introduced to it. And I and yeah. you wonder, like, do they, how many Buddhists do you think, not Buddhists, like monk types, just, I think they're called like Leo people. And it's just like normal people in, in, in daily life. Do they practice, is there any sort of practice in Buddhism? Do you wonder? I mean, I think there are, I don't know exactly what there are. I've taken Buddhism classes. I think the biggest I think meditation is a big piece of like Buddhism practice, especially daily. I would imagine most individuals who say I practice Buddhism will have some kind of maybe probably leaning towards like morning meditation, maybe three times a day. I don't know how they, how Buddhists, how Buddhists practice or if there's a standard for that even, but I'm sure mindful. I mean, mindfulness is one of the biggest pieces of, Buddhism yeah. as a tradition. Yes. Yeah. No, it's just, I, I mean, yes, for sure. It is one of, it is one of, if not the biggest practice involved in, in, med, in, uh, in, in Buddhism, but yeah, I don't know. I was just thinking like, cause, cause obviously there's, there's levels and a, and a kind of a spectrum of, of investment in, in the learning of the concepts and the, and the practices and the names of everything rather than just doing the practice um, I guess that's right. kind of like the scaling. So yeah, it was just it was just interesting. I mean, I think I think they're they're such popular people that they can get wrapped up in the star lifestyle. So it becomes kind of interesting and like the ego playing into that and their and their sense of self kind of changing because they they kind of see themselves in a bigger scale. But yeah, no, I yeah. just I just wonder. I mean, it makes you think like because this is it's you could never know truly what their life is like and what their position is. Um, on a day-to-day basis and on a mental basis because of it's such a different lifestyle. I think it's so, like I said, there's a spectacle on you all the time. There's a kind of, uh, what is the word? Microscopic lens on you. There is every move you do. Yeah, microscope microscope. on you. Exactly, under a microscope on all the time and you're just, you're forced. uh, You may, may, maybe not feel forced, but there could be situations where you're kind of forced into certain situations maybe advertisements or interviews right. or, or just interactions that you like, ah, I don't want to really do that, but it's, it's good for your image and it's not stuff. It's stuff like that. It's interesting. Um, I think maybe. You know if, what, do you know about what Marcus Rashford has done? Yes. That's been awesome. It's been so cool. So he's been I mean, I think that's like an example is, of like being perfect type of. 
yes. figures. And I think, but I think that's not even trying to be a perfect type of figure because he could be an asshole. Think about that. Right. But he's doing something that is awesome for the society of London, or I guess not London, but Manchester, and in the UK, UK, and the entire UK as well. He's having he's having such a great effect. So I doubt yeah. he's an asshole. I doubt he's a very caring person. He's looking yeah. out for other people in a way that is is very hard to compare to, and that's that's something that um, when people think of being a model citizen, I think it's I think it's like you're getting because. There's a point in, in life I've thought about this a decent amount, I guess, with, with meditating more, but and just kind of like being being alone in my, my thoughts is that there's there's kind of a level in in ourselves, like there's a, the, in 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 mindfulness practicing, and also in, in kind of day to day life is like you want to be your best self to then kind of give that to the world, and so be in your best position, right. be in best state of mind, and be your best emotional kind of and in balance to then be the best person that you can be to the world. And it's kind of comes with like success in, in a, in a fiscal sense and also in a status sense. And that he, he got to the point where he was already a very kind person. He did. He, he's probably very mindful of himself as a person already, maybe not, but it's the fact that he was able to, to give back because he'd reached the level of success and status that he's like, yeah, I mean, I don't need all this money or I, I don't need all this food. Right, you right, guys right, need all right, this right. food. So it's right. and I think and I think that's why I, when I thought about the Buddhism aspect is that there is a point where you're you're in a so enlightened not so enlightened but you're in a, in, a, in a you've changed so much via enlightenment that you can then start giving back to the world and having a positive effect and that seems right. speaks to right. Marcus Rashford's situation which is awesome to watch. I mean, just unfolding like that. He's done such a yeah. good job. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I agree. He's, I mean, I think in terms of the difficulties of this moment, he's translated it into something positive, not only. Oh my God. Yeah. For like, obviously all the, all the meals, but in terms of COVID too, it's just been a dark time and he's, Mm -hmm. this is like a bright spot in a dark time. Exactly. I mean, this is trying times for a lot of people and for someone in his position economically, um, yeah. he, he has so much he can start giving. He can begin to give back and he's giving back in such a large way. It's like, damn, man, that's great. That is so awesome yeah. to see. Like that is something that you, you, it's, it's, it's when it's described like that, it sounds like it's something rare, but it's not hard to do for one. And it's also something that should be, should be easier to embrace. Like you don't need, there's a, I guess there's a certain level of money that you probably have, that there's a lifestyle that you just kind of reach a point that there's no more need for this, all this money and all this kind of, and this, and this, and this sort of status that you have where it's like being aware of that. It's like, I am happy with myself. I'm happy in the current situation I am and I don't need more. I want to keep winning. I have a drive because you got to be here. You just kind of wither away. But it's it's more it's more for my my own personal self. But it's not going to take away from my my humanistic um, approach to life, and that's being being this this feeder for millions of kids in a no, way yeah. that it's unscalable. It's awesome. Um, yeah. But kind of I guess shifting gears with with this 
this mindfulness thing. I actually think people should start meditating more. If I was going to give like a blanket statement, everyone should take in the mindfulness practices because that gives something that is currently lacking in our political climate and our social climate that has given us a way it get mindfulness gives us a way into a perspective that we would not have um, not have considered otherwise because it's unless you're a very open-minded and and um, quite quite uh, understanding person which is not I mean people are like that but not everyone so there's kind of got to be a sense of self and understanding kind of the objective self before understanding your emotional um, and subjective self and having this experiences of of being able to to find yourself comfortable with reality and not trying to change reality to, to your terms, but rather accepting reality on reality's terms, um, which is, is a, is a big thing in, in our, in our kind of culture, because we're, we're kind of trying to change a lot of people. And when you try and change someone's mind, the, the easiest way is to just bash them down until they can't, until they can't fight it. But, that doesn't really accomplish much because you're just kind of, you're kind of pointing out just the negative perception of what is their way of being and just putting, calling it all into question rather than saying like, you are a person and you can have, you have changed before you can change again and you can change for the better. And um, I think, I think that obviously like having these conversations and having discourse and having arguments to a certain extent um, is great. But I also think on the individual and, and intrapersonal, I think if that's, that's the right terminology, it, but you know, within yourself relationship um, is probably the biggest step in that change yeah. in society. I mean, I think with mindfulness, what you were saying about like bashing in people for making mistakes and not understanding that there are multiple aspects of all humans you have to turn towards stuff like restorative justice and and Mm -hmm. talking to people and understanding people and trying to i mean this goes with anytime somebody does something wrong or like breaks a law like whatever understanding people and being mindful rather than bashing people and like they make mistakes like restorative justice is that and i think that i mean not to just completely shift the conversation, but no, that's, that's totally, it speaks to restorative justice. I mean, that's kind of, no, that's kind of a, that's kind of the, the political, if that's the right terminology in that sense, but a political like categorization of it, because at the end of the day, that's kind of what the, what the action would look like in, in those, in the, the criminal justice system and in, in overall societal societal issues as well. Um, and actually goes back to my point about, uh, this is this is not like on the same scale, but with like soccer players, one mistake, they're done. They're screwed. They're clowns. They're this, that, and the other. So it's I mean, different sometimes, sometimes because it changes. It's a different different attitude, obviously. But you see, like yeah. people get bashed for one, two, maybe five games, yeah, and then, and then they yeah. they're on the road again, and they just forgot that they were getting crapped on. But that was just kind of remembering about the psychology of and the kind of the relationship of your mind with people, with kind of the pressure. Um, but yeah, restorative justice, I think, 
I actually, I definitely knew about that, but you reintroducing that to me is something that I'm so glad because that's something that um, is, is very big in uh, the discussion of mindfulness because you're, you're actually, you're kind of accounting for the fact that this person is not one person, one singular mm -hmm. event defining person. Not one mistake, not yes. one person. They're, but they're, a, they're this present moment built up from when they were born until now and their consciousness is always going to be changing and ever evolving in a way that that mm -hmm. um can be positive or negative it kind of just goes mm -hmm. on its own way because it's a life that's what life is um but i think because mindfulness exists and we can access that we need to not need i think we need well i guess in the long grand scheme of things we need to be a society that is together on pretty much the most basic fronts I mean, we can disagree on some stuff, but like, you know what I'm saying? There's, there's, there's the, yeah. there's the, there's the negative discriminatory prejudiced um, issues that come on in today that seem to be due to a lack of perspective that, that is not need to be imposed negatively, but rather in an open-minded learning sense that is understanding and is, and then helps that situation improve because it's like, Oh, I know how to help you now. I know what's wrong. I know, I know the, I know the simple uh, situation and then you need to, I'm going to work with you now and we're going to continue to make the situation better. And that's, that's something that can't really be achieved if you're in a high tense, really stressful and negative situation, but rather one that is, that is an objective one. It is real. It doesn't mean it's going to be pretty, but it doesn't mean it's going to be just hateful, you know? So it's, it's kind of a, it's a tough one, but it's, 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 I think the hardest. Like no, I, I completely agree with you, but I think the hardest thing is facilitating that realistically and logistically, and and telling both parties like, yeah, it's difficult like that. And I agree. And at the end of the day, if you get that kind of discourse, that kind of discourse will lead to proximity, proximity of emotion, proximity of words spoken to one another. That shit matters. But the the logistics and like the the like the realistic side of getting that to occur is just it's it not going to so be unrealistic yeah yeah in many senses especially in the states yeah it's absolutely it's an unrealistic when you look at it in a short term scale i'm saying i'm i'm not talking 10 years 5 years this is going to be like a generation's length we might spend our whole lives teaching every single person in, in, in a way that is, and we may spend another 25 years figuring out the right theories and the right approach to everything. Cause some people don't like, there's going to be a kind of a disagreement, but, and as there's, I mean, that's kind of the great thing about this, this, this world is that not everything is just the same. It's not all the same ideologies, all the same damn time. Cause then there's no real freedom of thought and building on that thought. Um, yeah. So there's going to be a negative, but I think it had like, there's going to have to be a kind of a lot of room for mistakes and a lot of room for, for um, misjudgments, not necessarily just mistakes, mistakes, but like these people may genuinely believe this, this, that, or the other, and you have to be like, all right. So it's not that you are, you're not wrong because you don't know the alternative yet. But what you think is just not great. It's not positive. It's not a society that, that really thrives on one another. It's, it's, I'm obviously not going to give you the schematics to actually 
deciding how to d- approach this, but it's more of the finding a balance between um, truth, brutal, and almost not entire truth, truth in the sense that it's like, like this, this, this like, all right, you're just dumb. Like there's a point there. Yeah. And then there's also the be giving someone too much of a platform. You don't want to yeah. just let this guy rant on about why white people are superior. No one, no one's going to agree with him. And the end, I mean, people, some people will, but you know what I'm saying? Like the broad scale of people, it's not going to be entirely like, it's just not something that you want to be hearing. You want to yeah. be hearing the mixture of the two. So there's got to be a, yeah. be a better balance there. And that's why it's, it's not going to be an immediate change. I mean, you can't just like yeah. say in a year, racism is not going to be a, a concept that we'll even understand anymore. It's going to take yeah. generations for that to happen. That's good. Or we'll consider, we'll consider like, hey, this is never going to be an issue again. We know it existed, but we know we don't have to consider it as an option anymore because we've known that it's, it's something we can unlearn. Hopefully. I don't know how it's going to yeah. be exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think that the times like this of, of very, for lack of a better, better word, like a lot of polarization within our politi- two political parties in terms of racism and race, it always kind of manifests. I feel in time, like times like these in some ways, but I mean, as far as the country goes right now, I think it's difficult to say we're going to be done teaching about race. It's not that all. we're going to be done teaching about race at all. We're not going to be, we're not going to be, we're just not going to be considering race as like a, a thing that you can even fathom not, not agreeing with. You see how it's like, yeah. it's just a thing that exists like yeah. wars or, uh, eyebrows like it's something that happened but now because we're a, a very well-educated society and we're well-learned and we're humanistic we have a better attitude of it that's not to say that racism won't exist at all but i think that the grand population of people that matter more than anything it's really the yeah. people that truly matter will have have this this equal approach to society that that won't have these these um these changeable biases there's some biases that you can't right. get rid of like all yeah. right i like tall people more than short people like that's something you can get rid of over time but it's not something that should matter or implicate someone's decision making yeah. that much but something like their identity that really will come out more often uh if they're more attached to it maybe they're just a person that is entirely attached to a subject and has nothing to do with their identity but to say like that it will be to a point where the we won't even have a threshold for that kind of thing because it'd be like you're an, it's not even there's not going to be like types of prejudices but they're just going to be kind of this like shitty person that you're just not going to want to be around because it's going to be a negative um, and and just misunderstood ideology. I mean, no one actually, when you think of like a racist person, I don't actually know what's going through their head. We try to define it, but that never works because we don't actually have their perspective. But when you, when you allow yourself, that's what I'm saying, that balance between the platform and saying, and the truth to like, to the, the aggressive truth. There's a little bit where you've got to just get a view 
You got to see like, all right, this is where they're coming yeah. from. But then you take away, you don't take away, but you slowly switch platforms for them. You give them this, right. this not like you don't sneak it in. Like you just help them understand that like, eh, not so much, but this one's a little better. It's, yeah. it's, it's a different, so it's, it's a, like I said, I mean, and you, you agree. It's like, it's, it's, it's unrealistic for a quick change, but it's realistic in the grand scheme of things, hopefully. I don't know yeah. how long the time frame is difficult. But. I mean, I think time frame is something that has been kind of, I was saying this before we were talking before when we were talking about this, like it's kind of been pushed apart and like to make sure timing is, is and the timing of everything that's happened in America's past is important. It makes me think of the, you know about the 1619 project, yeah, the New York yeah. times thing. It's like Nicole Hannah Jones just had the idea to on the 400th anniversary mm-hmm. that slaves first arrived in the colonies. Like that's to make U.S. history base some of its beginnings in terms of the U.S. Constitution yeah. and and the Declaration of Independence. Anything, yeah, like yeah. all that, just based off of the idea that these people were here too and they matter too and their stories aren't part of our history because of our system. But no. I like, I mean, I don't know what, how much you know about it. Or like I, I, I know a decent amount. I've actually looked into it a lot. But I think something like that is super, super, um, super important and impactful and should be like, that's, that's a good way to like educate somebody about the past on the land they live on. And like they, and the thing about like that, what, what you were saying before is like n- not having another viewpoint. It's not even, like, they're not bad po- people. They're just aren't educated and don't understand the yeah. past because they're told maybe a lie to themselves or by others every day, or they don't because they, they still are racist and believe that things should go back to how they are. But like at the end of the day, if they see this past and see like, see the f- past of our country in connection with, yeah, people of color. That's I think that's sure. an important way to learn. And I to- think I think that attitude towards the nineteen project is a good one. I definitely agree that there's there's a lot of good that is that is the goal coming from this is understanding the true history in all of its sense than just from the the uh, I guess the white the white uh, sense. Um, but I've actually so there's been some controversy with it, not because of the mm-hmm. actual not the actual I mean, yes, the actual idea of it originally was controversial and then it changed against because so first it was that it, it made the claim that it was its true founding for like a year almost. And then pretty recently they took down that aspect and, and Nicole Hannah Jones has kind of had some interesting feuds on Twitter. That's where I see like her stuff the most. I mean, I've read some of this stuff, but um, I've also looked at her Twitter a good amount and she it's, she plays a tough battle right now because she was in a situation where she was arguing for something that was incredibly controversial, which was the true founding of America. And yeah. now they took that out. So now they're saying that, which is, is a much more re I think I personally thought is a much more reasonable approach. That is everything that has come from today started somewhere and it started here. And this was a big part of it. Not that racism or slavery is the entire understanding of our human, our human, our human uh, being in, in, like, in the United States, but it played a very important role 
in the formation yeah. and the writing of all these of these um, literature and and I think there's a certain extent there was a separation here and there with thought and stuff, but for the most part, like you're saying, there was it was a it was a very pivotal portion <clears throat> of of the United States. Um, but yeah, I I have it's like interesting because I I definitely think it's worth knowing that stuff that the stories that are being told and the history that's being told that's history we gotta know that shit it's part of knowing life you gotta just see yeah. what happens but I think the framework of it was in a way that kind of was the same thing with like what I was talking about with postmodernism of the tearing down of everything rather than tearing down we should add on to this and continue to show that we can reform ourselves to understand more than there was before more than we were given to understand. Yeah. So we should, for example, reframe the understanding of, or even just understand that um, these people who were making a very important decisions were of this race or, I mean, we know the, the race, but they had certain positioning that we kind of didn't really account for because we wanted to idealize them in a sense, but rather giving the true, um, non or just true and real sense of a person of these people and also these other unaccounted for slaves and how that yeah. there's these things need to be accounted for and acknowledged as, as part of the reality of those situations that's how I see it and I think that's a very that's a very positive uh, encounter or very positive um, possibility for <clears throat> re-understanding and relearning in a way that is just helping us be smarter on, 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 a, on a sense that is like, let's never ever consider this option again. So let's understand it fully before we just blow it off. Before we just blow off and mm. just say like, ah, it doesn't exist. It did exist. So that's what I think on it. I think the goal of it was to make a learning. I didn't agree with the whole, the, the true founding thing. It was kind of like, I, it's just, foundings is, is such a definitive thing. Like, you know, they kind of just start. They don't just kind of slowly form into something that is what was the colonies and then and then that. So it was is is more ambiguous to kind of throw that the true founding thing. But other than that, I mean, I get the goal. I fucking support it, and I agree with you. I think it was definitely definitely important. What what do you, what what do you, do you give the benefit of the doubt to people or politicians that say like the sixteen nineteen project has no place in society because that's like the most like considered and like why don't you want people to know the truth of the country That's, but I, the thing I is, understand the attitude is totally different there so like what i see is not what everyone else is going to see and what we're seeing of this and we're actually agreeing very well on this but what i like when we were saying when they were saying that that it was the true founding and it was rewriting history in a way that was uh oriented in a different perspective rather than just a new perspective rather than like one versus the other there has to be a, a synthesis of all this like i was saying that like we add on to this rather than and change it up rather than just scratch it all and then re-implement you know that's kind mm -hmm. of what people were thinking of this and are thinking of this because not a lot of people do their research they only read twitter they read facebook they only read opinions they listen to certain politicians they read yeah. listen to certain news read certain news outlets so it's there's, there's a limited perspective. And that's what it comes down to. Because if you were to tell them what our perspective was, they'd be like, oh, see that? That makes sense because they're trying to have a positive impact on our society. Not just saying, screw you. You, um, you, you are discredited and this is what matters more. 
but rather this matters equally as much because it's part of history and we need mm-hmm. to know it. So that's, that's, where, that's why I, I give them the benefit of the doubt because of the lack of perspective, but I don't give them the benefit of the doubt if they actually know what's going on and they know that it's obviously not in trying to be negative. I think <clears throat> the yeah. extreme approach yeah. has become that and it kind of sucks that it has to be like yeah. that. But that's, that's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a difficult position for them. Yeah. But, um, yeah, man, I mean, it's, I, it's a very interesting climate that we're in right now because a lot of people maybe are learning maybe the negative aspects. I think with the social dilemma, that was huge. The negative perspectives on social media, but also polarization. I think being yeah. able to come back to reality and remember that we're still people that one identity or one perspective that we have or one ideology we have is not the defining person that they're going to be. It may have influenced their future, but that doesn't mean you yeah. can influence their future. We're not, yeah. we're not stuck. So I, I, hope I think COVID, for the better. I think COVID has heavily impacted that. Absolutely. Polarization with social media, not only because we're spending more time on social media and listening to more opinions and becoming more polarized, but factor in the, the, like, the fact that we don't see each other anymore. Nobody has physical contact with other people in other states and other worlds and other whole, like nothing. If we lived bubbled lives before in the political climate we had in the 2010s or, the 20, or even the teens now, mm-hmm. like 2020 has showed us that if we're all at home, we're not going to be talking to each other at all. And a lot of the time spent on social media doesn't factor in hey let's let's talk let's figure this out and it's rather just statement it's it's echo chambers it's confirmation biases it's things that like they talk have you watched the social dilemma no i haven't very good that is an eye-opening movie i remember like uncomfortably laughing throughout the whole thing because i was like oh my god it speaks to so much truth that it was like smacking me in the face in a weird way so i'll watch it what is it on netflix it's on netflix definitely worth watching all right i'll watch it and it, it talks about this whole thing and like the, the fact that we lack, we've been lacking a lot of human interactions. So the people that we may see are the people that are just going to continue to agree with us and they're not going to give us uh, a critical thinking perspective that we get with people that don't necessarily agree with us. It's in, in, um, in day-to-day life that we would usually have if we didn't have something like the virus. So it sucks. It sucks in that case. I think one thing that I was blessed with was I had a group of friends of four or five friends and basically starting, I don't remember exactly when it started, but we basically spent the whole summer once a week. We just get together and um, hang out and we, we don't agree each other, but we're really close friends. We've known each other for a long time. And I've actually just had two of the guys on the podcast, the last two episodes, and they're just really interesting guys too to talk to. And they're really fun. And that's something that, I miss now because obviously I'm not seeing, I see like seven people a day. <laughs> so I'm not getting a, I'm not getting, I mean, I'm getting a different form of thought cause this lifestyle is so different, but you know, there's not a diverse group of people. Right, 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 right. So that's, that was something I'm really happy for. And I'm really uh, also, I feel lucky for because I was given that, that chance to, to see these people despite uh, tough yeah. situations. But yeah, I mean, that's something that I appreciate too, because not a lot of people had that. 
a lot of people were just hanging out with kind of yeah. the same people, talking to the same people, following the same Instagram accounts, following the same Twitter accounts, getting in Twitter fights with people that don't agree with them, and then just trying to and not being able to understand them, but rather just constantly dig that hole deeper, deeper, deeper and say like, screw you, even though I have no idea what you look like, because I'm in this hole, I'm going to continue to scream at you. And that's, that's something that, that needs to continue to change in a way that is for the positive. I mean, it might not change. I, I mean, think we'll it, see how COVID, not. Yeah. we'll see. I mean, it, it, hopefully it does has COVID subsides because there will be a point where we get a vaccine. There will be a point where we return to some semblance. Life will might not ever be the same, but even at that point, you're, you're hoping that, hey, people have the urge to go out and talk yeah. to and travel. And I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a weird thing to think about, but Hopefully, occur. And also, post-election, we we have to hope that, if anything, polarization drops. I I, I really hope so. That's I been don't. Really bad. I think it depends on the outcome. I think if. I mean, I don't want to be too political, but and no, if we're talking about social climates, they, politics play in a factor. So it's totally fine to have a political opinion. I think if you don't want to, I, I don't care. It's not part of that necessarily because, um, I think. And I don't see it. It's not very realistic, but I really wish that regardless of who wins, there's still a, an opportunity to come together and, and be, and, and kind of accept the reality of the situation. Cause whoever wins, they're stuck there four more years. That's it. There's mm-hmm. not like we can take them out again. I mean, we already tried. It's not, it's not, there's only so much you can really do. So why not just adjust? Like I was saying, kind of accepting reality on reality's terms. We just, rather than um, leave and kind of ignore the problem, help the problem improve. So help these people, even though there may be a, a figurehead that is just entirely against what you believe in, that doesn't mean that you don't have an impact on society. You don't have this way, because there's yeah. always ways to help people learn. It's not just the bashing. It's also the, the, um, this, this like willingness to understand this mindfulness of a person's existence is different from yours in a different, in a to- totally um, fundamental sense that you may not ever be able to fully understand, but if you can grasp it and help those yeah. people, it's, it, it will make the next four years so much better. Cause like if one of them wins and then there's just riots regardless, that just sucks. I mean, that just makes it more tense and I more think, stressful yeah. and more annoying. And I'm not saying that one has the equal chance. There's probably more of a chance if one guy wins versus the other but even if there is on the on the lower side still riots it's like that's just a terrible terrible consequence of something that gives us a lot of chance to to grow and come together i think it's important to to also remember though that like there's a difference between protests and riots and like all these I know. Vi- all the I'm violence and riots, all stuff. Though. Like if but yeah, I know it could it could be riots after, and I mean, hopefully there isn't, but chances are there will be. I mean, I think I, no matter who wins. Yeah, I just think we need. I think point. these people who are most involved in organizing riots need to be the big step forward in bringing together a society based on the fact that we want the same thing rather than we are the same person. That makes sense. Kind of like, um, there's a, like, rather than being, for example, separating each other based on identity and thinking like based on, for example, race, 
um, but rather being an open and uh, if you're willing to, you know, change some and be, and obviously also um, fight for an equal and altruistic energy that is like equality based on mm. like equality of thought in, in not in the diverse and like lack of diversity, but in equality of, of, uh, of an attitude. That's what it is. An equality of attitude. Cause you're thinking that's you're thinking your attitude change has to be through these figureheads, these big people in the heads, the starters of these movements, these, these, with these peaceful protests, but also the rioters, because those rioters have a lot of influence and everyone has these influence, even like Antifa, who's just a, an idea. There's still people involved in it. There's some guy that they're following. It goes somewhere. There's not maybe one person, but there's a lot of figures that hold a position of power. And there's people in every sense that should turn towards the humans and not towards themselves on, on loving and hating everyone else. It's gotta be, let's do this together because why not be the best we can be in a unified sense and not, not in this isolated, separated society. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree. I think it's important though when talking about radicals and, and Antifa and all that, it's like, you, you, you even said it. The thing that's frustrating, I think, in our societies that Antifa is given the same kind of caliber as like say the KKK in a sense of like domestic terrorism or domestic threat. And yeah, I might be uneducated on this, but in a sense Antifa is only an idea whereas the KKK is like an organization. And you see like Antifa is, and may have somebody they might, it's turned people turn towards like one leader possibly, but it's not the same. Yeah, it's not the same. But it's still, a, it's still an idea that's still followed. I mean, look at like a lot of religions. They're not like, there's not, I mean, there's the Pope, there's these yeah. figureheads, but there's not like, they don't even listen. Not everyone's listening to the Pope every day. You know what I'm saying? Like right. you have, right. it's a smaller, it's more centralized, obviously, but Antifa is something that still attracts a certain, uh, type of follower and it's still something that can can be used as all i'm trying to say really is that there's platforms that are available yeah. for these people and rather than adding on to the fire that is polarization there needs to be a like a sense of of humanity that comes back that's 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 difficult a hundred percent and i mean it's like i could just sit here in my 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 treetop mansion and look down on you fools but i think it's not it's not it's something that I'm going to try and play a part in. I'm going to try and continue to talk to people. I'm going to try and have these discussions and um, hopefully be able to get people that I entirely disagree with on almost everything. And it be still a good conversation because we're willing to listen to one another and not insult right. and not um, denigrate their, their whole existence based on because they might disagree on one thing and but rather be able to learn from one another and, that's a big thing. Learning is huge. I think a big thing to remember along with those with along with what you're saying is though about like disagreement. I think there's a difference when the disagreement is, or it has to be factored into when considering a disagreement factor in the, like what's, what's being disagreed upon. Like do factor that in. Yeah. Because if it affects somebody else 
maybe more than it affects you, like knowledge. And this is, I think this has been difficult in today's climate, this idea of if, and this, this, this is, this is kind of tightrope given, I don't know, whatever's going on, but the idea that if you're black in this country and if you're a woman in this country, you should be, you should, people, white people, white men, white straight men should listen to black men about race. They should listen to all women about, black women about race. They should listen to women about sexism. They should listen to black women about sexism. Like they should listen to, and this is what we were kind of talking about earlier, these privileged positions. If anything, part of this disagreement comes from listening to why. Yes, comes obviously listening and disagreeing, listening to the other side is important, but when it comes to racism, the black person in the conversation probably knows best about not only experience, but certain aspects of how it manifests in our country. And that goes with sexism. That goes with what transphobia, homophobia, like anything. Any position of privilege, anybody in position, uh, positions of privilege should understand that at the end of the day, yeah. you probably don't understand difficulties in that sense. And this is what's kind of erosive because then it, that's, it's not fun to be told you're privileged. You don't deserve what you have. You, you should, if one doesn't live, and that's what happens, I think, with a lot of poor, uneducated white people in this country, when you don't have the settings around you, whether it be socioeconomic, whatever, you live in a neighborhood that's very non-demographically diverse, like not dem demographically diverse, like, yeah, you're not going to experience that and you're not going to experience any kind of proximity. So you don't know, you, you, you can't be told that you're, you're, you're privileged because you don't know what's, exactly. what, what you see a LeBron James, a Barack Obama, and you say, this black person is far more privileged than me. I don't buy all this. And obviously that's a pretty ignorant way to see things, but that's what's occurring in the country. And people don't understand that that's more connected to grief and kind of shame. Yeah. And uh, yes, obviously if that comes from racial hatred, that's an, a factor in it. And I think that's important to acknowledge, but being told you're privileged, I can understand and I yeah. see how that emotion comes or. Well, we, we talked about before, we talked about that, the idea of guilt talked about how it it plays in such a factor when we we uh we talk about race as as um as yeah. all people do but also mainly white people talk about race and racism and they have they feel the sense of guilt and you were saying that we need to listen to the black men and black women about race issues and all people of color as well they need to talk about their perspective um and i totally agree with that and i think giving them a, a platform reasonable enough, like there's a threshold there. I mean, you can't just say, you know everything, I have no idea. Like you're saying, you're privileged right. to this, this unprivileged person who, who still is white. Um, and you're telling them like, this is all you have to see. And that, but rather letting them kind of look at the rest of the, the scope um, is, and, but, but, but going back to um, the whole fact of like, we should listen to these people, but there's also, there's the, the problem is with 
all forms of ideology, there is the radicalist um, perspective. And that is, for example, like a perpetual victimhood and the victimization of people, even if they may not have personally experienced it. And there's kind of also like people reaching into their, out of their kind of spaces into other people's spaces. There's a lot of, there's a lot of misconstruing manifestations of these, but for the most part, I mean, most people, and, and that's the thing, like most people can give you an honest discussion about this thing without being accusatory or, um, yeah. or accused, accused of, of, um, of being this person that they're probably not. Um, yeah. That's a big thing. It's kind of like the, the all white people are racist type thing. And it's like, if you're just going to, and it's kind of looking, it's like I was talking about earlier, lowering that threshold and trying to kind of look for everything rather than accepting the there's more to a person than their one mistake maybe yeah um and yeah. helping them learn from the mistake and then moving on with life and not having to re reintroduce themselves to their past life and remember that they did this one thing or they said this one thing or they wrote this one thing um so there's kind of a difficult situation there it's the same thing with trying to help people um trying to help people not be, be racist it's the kind or be prejudiced in sort any sort of identity it's the same thing in that there has to be, there's a, there's a certain amount where there's too much platform and there's a certain amount that there's not enough platform. There's the, the harshness of it, the, the cutting down, the smashing. And so when someone like a black person, male or female, talks to a white supremacist attituded person, those conversations need to lack, I mean, there's a certain level of emotion, you know, like laughing and a little bit of that energy. But for the most part, you need to be able to cognitively, um, orient yourself to them to get into their position and then help them push out of their position. And that's, and that's something that is, is part of listening. And that's a huge thing. We need to listen to each other. We need to listen to our experiences and take them as we take them with a reasonable approach and approach that is for the well-being of society. And um, so there's, there's a, there's an interesting like dynamic there that, that is, um, that you see sometimes, like, I, I don't know if I, I think I've talked about this before, not, on the, uh, not with you, but like with in academia, or I guess I mentioned it before about academia, the fact that there's a, a very heavily left-leaning um, tilt in ideologies. And so that's something like, mm, a bit too much of an echo chamber. We need a bit more diversity of thought and to then continue to build up. Because in the end, there's probably one better side than the other. Not that they could be entirely equal, equal in one way or the other, but I think in the current climate, I think democracy yeah. could build itself up more than a Republican style, but it's, it's subject to changes. Everything I mean, is. under Trump, it's pretty fascist. It's given, it's, he's given got his fascist thing, but I'm saying more amongst the people. It has nothing right. to do with actual, in the sense of the policy figurehead, but just like right. policy, ideology, not just on, on, on a political scale, but in just life ideologies. I and mean, they kind of, they can really lead your life if you really stick to them enough. But um, it's that, it's that there's, there has to be, there can't be just echo chambers. There has to be the, the differentiation of like, there's, there's a certain amount that we want from you and a certain amount we want from you. And we want to bring that together to learn more about one another and be a better cohesive, humanistic and holistic society. I mean, I agree, but I think, I think like, or I wonder what, what's the response if you get, I like your example, if you get 
I mean, under hypothetical circumstances, if you get like a Nazi white supremacist and you get a black Ivy League professor and you get them to talk about flying the Confederate flag, for example, what does it represent? If, if, if the white supremacist says it represents tradition for me, the, the, what the, what's the black professor supposed to say in that situation? situation I think that's I mean, a question. Well, there's, there's a lot of tradition existing in every culture. That's something that, yeah. that you don't have to understand like why specifically the Confederate, I mean, you can actually, you can understand it on such a basic level. Or, but but, but it's even like, then, how did, it's, it's, well, it's let me, let me change my question yeah, a sure, little. Sure. How does, how does that considering that it's probably the right thing to do? How does that, person it doesn't have to be a professor it doesn't matter just yeah. how does that yeah, black yeah, yeah. person black um educated like can deal well, maybe deal with how do they convince that person that your tradition is invalidating me is is well, it's, it's allowing, back on a dark well, it's, past yeah it's absolutely that because it's well it's but doing that in a way is very difficult and that's what yeah, I, I, may exactly. have been, I may have been talking about before the podcast or during the podcast, but it was that it was the kind of coming into your side of the world in a way that makes enough sense that I can rationalize and help you understand that there is, there is a lack of knowledge of your, in your position. Like that's, you have to know when you argue with someone and you end up knowing more about them than they know about you or, uh, or that you like, what I'm trying to say, yeah, it's actually knowing more about them than they may know about you in, on your side is, is a hugely vital position. For example, when we argue about Premier League teams in, in, our, in little banter situations, when I end up, when someone starts spewing facts about you, about your side, and starts giving you the truth about your side and their perspective on their side, you start realizing like what it looks like to the rest of the world rather than how it looks to you. And so, but in a way that isn't just that banterful style, but rather a conversation that says, I totally understand that the concept of tradition is something that is incredibly important in this world and in this country and in, in your community, but it is a community that has been uh, encapsulated too much into this specific ideology and is not uh, allowing for an open free society. And the realistic and like there's other things like accepting the reality that people of other races and other types of identity exist in the world there's nothing you can do about stopping them so really your your ideology kind of just limits yourself and your consciousness to a certain spectrum mm. and obviously this is this is comes from a place that is understanding and then allows them to switch back switch over and be on this loving and holy, not holy and H O L Y, but whole W H O L E. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sense of of wanting the better for everyone. So it's yeah. it's really hard. That don't get me wrong. Like I'm going to continually say that it is virtually impossible. But it's but that doesn't say that does. I'm not saying it is impossible. Period. Right. It's right. something that we we're very capable of. We've changed a lot. Our, our attitudes have changed a lot over the past hundreds of years, just on different things. As we've learned more and more about ourselves, about what we can do, the potential of human beings and the potential we can do with yeah. technology yeah. And, and also being with one another and the way we can form these, these, these uh, constructed 
um, ideologies amongst each other. We know we can do it. We just have to put yeah. in the time and the effort and the, the investment, the emotional investment. Like you might have like a disgusting, um, having just heard like incredibly disgusting and harmful things said to you, but you got very far along in the conversation. You helped them learn. And then you just go home and cry. Like that might be the reality of the situation for some people, but knowing that they're doing the greatest good that is ever done to anyone is learning. That is or teaching in a sense. That is fucking amazing. That is something that I could not push for more. Learning is the greatest thing that we're at. We can do, and we can do it in a way that affects every single moment in our lives one way or another. It's, it's but is phenomenal. it worth it? Is it worth that emotional toll if that person's mind but, isn't changed? But is it worth the emotional toll? It's to kind of turn it around and like, is it worth the emotional toll of seeing these people down the street and they just start cursing at you and treating you like gar throwing garbage at you? Is it worth that? Or is it worth taking a, a good amount of insults? And then in the long run, they're just, they're, they're not even going to talk about it. They don't care. They're, I mean, they're willing to talk about it, but they're in a learning environment now in a learning uh, situation. Basically, it's saying like, is one living with it for the rest of your life and having it kind of stay unchanged because of the negative per, uh, approach that we're seeing to some people? Or is it worth, is it worth the taking the heat, taking that? Because it's going to happen. The truth needs to be able to take the lunacy that people call out on you. It needs to be able right. to take the joking. If someone, if you state a fact that you stand by, but not many people might know, and you got to know that fact, like you stand by that fact, it will take all the BS that comes with it. And that like doubt and, and jokingness of it and making fun of and the teasing and it needs to still, and it will still stand. It's being able to do that. And that's, so, I think that's entirely worth it. I think if, if a person came and was giving us a, a productive, constructive and a unified front and perspective on this, it would be so easy too with a lot of people yeah. just there's just more opportunity there it's not going to be 100 percent of the population but at least they'll know and it's like they, they can't not change them an idea that was kind of thrown around or kind of rose because of the movement was and this isn't in contrast to what you're saying but this this is an aspect that makes it more difficult the idea that it is not on the burden of black people to teach white people about racism. It is their burden to carry. And at the end of the day, it is ultimately their responsibility to understand that this shit is wrong and this shit is right. I think to get there, we need some of the interaction you're talking about, but the emotional toll that is associated with race in this country to put it, in the perspective that it is black people who have to kind of teach in a way yeah. or say, or yeah, or yeah, take on the emotional burden of, of, of validating their existence and the, for lack of a better word, validating their existence, but teaching shouldn't be the, their burden yeah, to carry. I, absolutely. Or our totally burden to carry. It's not, it's not, it's not the, the role of a, a solely a black person to teach you, but it should, but also like, there's just, I mean, people say like, I've, I've heard that a lot and people are saying like, I'm tired. I'm tired of constantly trying to teach someone, but yeah. you look at, you look at the, some of the most, I mean, the most successful, this is not, not speaking to this cause it's such a different thing, but it's the most successful people have this 
of a character trait that is perseverance. And the fact that yeah. there, it's like kind of putting the weight back on people who just don't know. Like there are so many people in this country who simply have no idea of what is like, what is a black person? Who is a black person? What, like, just what are they, how? Yeah, they don't interact. Do they with, yeah, there's no interaction. They don't live. Yeah. There's nothing. Yeah. So there, there has to be, I think, to be fully in that direction in a positive way, there has to, obviously, like, there's some places simply a black person could not, could not come into. But I think starting with a white person, starting with, a, with a, maybe someone that, that can access that central uh, figures and more, and more culturally um, involved people and getting to them and helping them spread their knowledge of society and then having more introducing. And it's, I'm saying, I'm saying like there's a route that doesn't have to be solely dependent on black people, but like, yeah. that's also not saying that's like the most beautiful thing. Like I, I believe at least is, is the, is seeing someone figure something out and accept and it's kind of step into this new world even if they're kind of like limiting themselves, but then they're like, you know what, this is, this makes a lot of sense. I see where you're coming from. And I think it's definitely better to approach it in this way or, or be, be interactive in this way with, with a, a person of not my race. So it's um, kind of lost my train of thought, but like the, the interaction doesn't have to be limited solely to black people. So the weight is not on them, but it's because it's yeah. still on white people to actually actively take the time to learn and understand perspective. But I think it's best learned from a black person. That's probably, that's a hundred percent true. So yeah. it's, it's kind of, it's difficult because you don't want to just say everyone go explain. You can have like incredibly influential people who take it upon themselves. And this is part of being humanistic. It's not, it's not something that should be considered like a negative role. Cause it's something that could be end up being beautiful. It's end up something that like, Oh my God, man, that's what you feel like. Holy yeah. fuck. That's awful. I could never imagine someone feeling like that. Or I could never imagine wanting to make someone feel like that. So it's, it's just relating on a level that is even at the most basic and the most bit tradition, the concept of tradition, understanding that that yeah. exists. So it's, it, yeah, it's it's really not just the role of black people. It's the role of white people. It's the role of other, all other identities as well, because it's also this idea of of, of um, kind of rather than compartmentalizing these different identities, bringing them in to the factors that ex are part of our existence, but aren't the the deciding roles either. No, I think one thing I'd I'd kind of mix into that. And what's important is the mindset of the party going in that's, for example, the white supremacist, that mindset, if, they're go if a white supremacist goes into one of these conversations and says, I'm not going to budge, like, what actually stops them, you know? And honestly, I have no idea. And like I said, it's not going to be 100% of the population, but you have to have a certain standard. And I think, I think saying like, there, it's not going to be also before I keep going, it's not going to be one teaching. You don't just show up. You're like, Hey, right, this is right, it. Right, right. You got it. There has to be a lot of investment in, in this kind of role. And if it's truly cared about in the way that it sounds and the way I feel that it's cared about is this genuine investment for an egalitarianly perspective society, we can access that. Um, but it's very hard. It's not, it's going to take 
you know, a pastor coming in every single week, maybe, maybe even twice a week or something or some person coming in and being like helping influence them over a long period of time and ingraining that idea. So it's, it's, it's very difficult to, to access someone's mind when they're not budging, but coming, but like I said, where you come in from their side and then allow them to come over to yours, that allows for a lot more help. You just start asking these, per, like not personal questions, but like more, um, uh, what's the word? Miscellaneous questions. But what if that, what if that, like, what if that person knows and is actively trying to deny or stop? Like that's, that's kind of, I, cause I get what you're saying with, yeah with simply not trying to change one's opinion, but to, to go in knowing that I'm not gonna, and this Gosh. goes for both sides. This goes for both sides. Yeah. Not, and, and that's where this question kind of gets difficult because in my opinion, one side is about love and acceptance and one side is about hate. But even then, it's important to understand that if you go into a conversation, no matter what, if you're closed-minded and know I'm gonna keep whatever I think and whatever I know, no matter what. Yeah. Like so much of that and what you're saying is denied by white supremacists. And I, think it's, I think it's not only denied though. Because you don't want to grapple. Sometimes yes, people don't want to grapple with the truth or those truths. I think there's, I think there's a level of, um, of truth to that for sure because there's, there, has to be a, uh, there has to be some people in this world that are too close-minded to be able to access that part of their brain in the way that, that is like, oh, okay, I see now. Like that just doesn't yeah. happen to a lot of people. But like I said, there's going to be failures. That happens. But I think the yeah. unrelenting willingness to have this person-to-person interaction will great will cause, even if it's a minor change, like even if they just see one aspect of the reality of the situation that they're in, they're gonna, it's gonna have, it's gonna grow somewhat. No matter, it's not, you can't really quantify racist perspective and these prejudiced perspectives. You can just yeah. allow for an opportunity for change. And then these people have an influence in a positive way. It's, it's, it's being able to, <clears throat> to unlock their side. Cause that's a whole thing. You have to be able to understand the, the arguing or the person you're arguing with, the side you're arguing with, or the, the position you're arguing against um, to be able <clears throat> to change that person's mind rather than just bashing and just coming in with attacks and attacks. So it's, yeah, but I, how do you understand a position that is based in, well, if you're in your own devaluation or your own, if you're given identity being, if you're taught every day, I mean, this is like years I said, man, I, I'm not saying like, it's not easy. It's very hard to conceptualize this. I can't even really conceptualize. It's like the more I think about these different factors, it's harder and harder to conceptualize, but it's not an unrealistic standard because that might be the extent of difficulty that this might be. Like people might actually be that racist. But is it not worth trying to change their or start to change their minds? Is it not worth trying to help our society learn in a way that influences us in our in our um, in our uh, future decision making? Or is it just worth kind of accusing, sitting in back, and kind of being accusatory and kind of mm -hmm. blaming issues that are individually can't be handled, um, but only in, in this kind of broad sense, and rather attacking it, but piece by piece. And coming together it seems like a, it's hard right. it's not it's not something that is solvable in one one day one year 
whatever, it's gonna be it's gonna be over a long period of time. We may never see what it looks like in the end, but right, I right. like to start that change in a way that is that is bring is unified rather than dividing and separatist. That's just it's a difficult position though. That's yeah. the thing. It's hard, but I we hear about instances where this happens. There's like someone accesses a, a more a white supremacist group or a neo-Nazi or whatever, and they, they help change a lot of, I think Daryl Dyke um, was, was a guy who went into the KKK, like put himself in the situation, in the, became part of them and then got people out of it because like that's, that's amazing. But if you put that at mm-hmm. a scale of even 100,000 people just going the other way, that's a huge amount of people right there. And that gets the yeah. ball rolling somewhere. Um, yeah, it's just it's just hard to realistically tell someone, hey, this is all you're going to do. You're just going to teach people. I mean, maybe it's a like there's got to be a whole system in, in place for this, but it's something that allows for a learning rather than an unlearning and a, yeah. and a growth rather than a smashing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's hard, but I think I think I mean building on that learning versus unlearning it's difficult and i think that that factors into not just white privilege but white male straight privilege in the u.s like every man who put pen to paper on the constitution was a white straight landowning male right like that like putting that in perspective that unlearning that has to take place there is not like if when people who who take up those positions in society don't want to unlearn that's where it can be dangerous because i like what you're saying is adding learning onto learning but you cannot add this learning onto what is learned and what is internalized by american racism especially when put into context of old white men who have been alive for what 80 years like that this kind of thing is America and Americanized racism, it isn't their fault. It isn't always this person and X person's fault that they've been raised in a country that has such a disgusting reality it's, of race. It's a, it's a reality that, that, yeah, is what makes it hard for people to quote unquote unlearn is the is that they kind of stick with it because it's worked for them, like I was saying earlier. But along with like what I was saying right. about adding to new learning, it's also you have to change that old learning. That's what learning, learning is not yeah. a building. It is a, it is just a concept. And it's something that once you learn something that also might, for example, when people found out about gravity, we started finding like that took out a lot of old myths that people had. When he found out about, um, other thing, you know, scientific advancements or whatever, we started unlearning these stupid myths that are part of, are part of, um, part of society. Cause that's what happens when we don't know something, we just make it up. It's the same thing when people don't know right. that black people are equal in, all, in pretty much every single sense, except that they look a little bit different. That doesn't, um, not knowing that is, is something that they would, it would, I guess, no, knowing that they are equal um, and that they should be treated as human beings as because they are um, 
is what would then include, I think, a byproduct of it. That's what I'm trying to say. A byproduct of all yeah. this stuff would be an unlearning of this because you just blow it off. You just don't care. It's kind of that thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it comes with being a mindful person. It becomes being aware that like these negative perpetuated uh, attitudes don't help anyone. They're not, they're not positive. They just kind of spread this negative perspective or they kind of spread a negative connotation and rather see it in a realistic and an objective approach that doesn't have to have a bias in any sort of circumstance and just be like, this is it. This is what we know. This is it. Yeah. Right. Don't, don't mess around with it now. And that's, so, but that's also difficult. difficult to construct and, and we are increasingly living in a post fact society, especially in the States with Trump. And that's just a difficult bridge to gap. Yeah. Especially when having honest conversations, like what are you going to have a, yeah, hopefully you have a moderator, but even then like what, like living in a post fact society has made it so much more difficult for critical conversations that eliminate morals and religion and emotion in these senses that they're not as important as hey, Hey, what is in front of your face? Yeah. Let me tell you what's a fact that, being in jeopardy has given rise to those others I was talking about yeah. in a sense that if they're all balanced, it's difficult to engage in proper conversation when fact is not something that's it's put into question. Like, it's like set in stone in a sense. It's put into like question. if it's not concrete, yeah. how can we base our other aspects of yeah. a conversation or a discussion or process of just of restoration, relearning. Yes, yes. I unlearning. Think, I think that the, makes it difficult. It makes it really difficult, and I think the pandemic has made that like a hundred thousand times more yeah. difficult, which yeah. sucks. That's what I'm thinking about. Like, hey, what if we, what if this starts to go away? Because like, what if we kind of have had enough time where this got so bad and so so like not in the way we wanted to that we started doing these more positive approaches. So it's, it's, it's something that comes with the, the fact that there's no pandemic kind of looming over us that, that whole withdraws us from these people that we, we can't entirely agree with. Um, I just, I think, I think that is something that has to be, it's not just a learned in, in the, in the most passive way process. It's something that has to, you have to, you're going to have to give something up to have these discussions. Like we're talking about, um, you know, religious and, and moral values. It's part of the emotion. I was saying earlier, like you're separating your emotions from your true thoughts and being able to stick with your beliefs and then be willing to accept their beliefs and, and some, and then like certain aspects of their beliefs that allow you to change your beliefs. Cause and it goes with this adding and learning thing. It's not, you just kind of add it and it replaces the old stuff. It fills in the holes that were kind of left behind from, from a history or whatever learning process that may be when something new is, is learned or discovered. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it sucks that we're in this, this situation with Donald Trump and like how he treats information and how society treats information and how we put kind of put objective truths that, that, some like are have been have been now like been able to be falsified, but now we now have like a good set of objective truths about the world, and we need mm -hmm. to continue to find more and continue to find those that yeah. we can set in stone. And rather, like we need somewhere to start. We have a lot of to start with, but we need to know yeah. now, like where are the holes here? Not not like everything is racist, but more like what 
Uh, yeah. Where is it? Like, where can we find it that truly has a negative effect and a discriminatory effect on us? So it's it's yeah. it's not necessarily entirely a critical thinking though. It's also like working with it. You're kind of pushing the different levers, and you're like, oh, this is it. You you get rid of that one, and you replace a new fact, and you give it, the, and it becomes that becomes a, a myth, and now this is a fact. Stuff like that. It's 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 it takes a long ass time. It could take decades. It could take centuries, but the fact that we can get the ball rolling in a certain direction and know that we're going to get a lot of pushback. People get a lot of pushback from these ideologies. Um, so giving yeah. them, giving them the space also to, to like learn this perspective and learn rather than kind of just continue to dig the hole is still very important. You can't just kind of bash them under the ground, leave them there and then start yelling them from, from above. Like, nah, man, I just got, battered like i'm not going to listen to any of that it's just not it's not it's not it's not feasible with a person with a human psychology so uh, like detaching those emotions and reapplying continuing to apply your truth your perspective your what you you believe and what we've come to accept as truth it it helps it helps that because it's not just it's like even if let's say they have a uh, a a bias coming into the talk and they're going to say like, I'm not going to budge, but you're giving them a fact that is, that has nothing to do with your, um, with who is saying it and something that like, I can't, I, I can't talk top of my head, but stuff that, that is more concrete that we know, we just established and proof of that in a way that is, that it just, it kind of comes across as true to, to almost all people. or as many people as it, as like smart people should be and reasonable people. So it's, it's going to be an ever evolving situation. I think with the pandemic right now, we just kind of put that shit backwards and we put everything backwards. It's much harder to understand people's perspectives. But as mm. soon as this ends, my job is going to be going and listening to people that I don't wouldn't usually agree with and read about stuff that I don't agree with. And then also obviously continue to learn my side and, and then continue to form opinions. And that's, I think that's what everyone needs to do starting when we get back because we'll have as much access as we would have usually had and hopefully even more with, with um, maybe certain legislation if, if time comes, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's yeah. just, we need all these, we need to start with a, a, a more humanistic and less demonizing of a certain type of people in approach. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the difficulty with the racism discussions in that sense of don't demonize is don't demonize. I'm not saying don't generally demonize. Not, not, not like, okay, you who are, who is in, who has lived with uh, a racist family and you have kind of, kind of constantly been bigoting or been a bigot to certain people and all these people like, yes, there's, there's those people that deserve a certain level of that backlash, but not the con continual, like you're in this and that's you're nothing. You're nothing now. And to those people that are like me, for example, any regular white person that has like no consideration of what uh, racism is to them because they just don't put that in their picture. And like, it's, it's that there's needs to be less demonization of uh, a blanket statements. Really. We need to attack the right people, the people that need to learn. There's people that like can are continue to learn and are very willing to learn and people that kind of feel like there's, they don't need to learn because they already see people equally. And then there's people who are, 
who are pretty unwilling to learn uh, when when addressed in the wrong way. So that's what I'm trying to mm. say. I'm not saying I'm mm. not saying that like de demonizing uh, demonizing the people like white supremacists and neo Nazis, but demonizing but not demonizing everyone every white person ever. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 there's a threshold in all this. You know, there's too much and too little. There's um there's just there's always we see excess in all forms. I mean, radicalism is an excess form of that, of whatever ideology. So even that in itself, like that's probably not the best way because it kind of, it's so radicalized and on its own that it isolates other forms of thought, but being a synthesis of all the previous notions and, and then along with the new notions that we have and putting it together is, is just, it's so vital right now because we're like you said, yeah. we're in a post facts. We're in a post facts society. So we're in a society yeah. that, that, that questions everything, everything yeah. about ourselves. And that's, that's like, you can do that because that's what critical thinking in a sense is, but critical thinking is also looking at it in like the positive, the negative and what is gained and everything about it. You're not just looking at what's wrong. Hmm. Looking at the entirety, it's like in our, like I was saying about arguments. You know, you got to understand their side to get your side even propped up better. It's the same yeah. thing. It's it's the universality of man applied throughout culture and and society and in a way that that helps us continue to improve and be mindful and and all this all this beautiful things that that can come of it. Yeah. Uh, what time is it? Ten. Yeah, it's, it's, it's getting late here. Also, I have to do some studying. Yeah, too. you got to do studying. I, sorry for holding you up. I mean, this is a lot of no, fun. No, 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 no. This, this, this is was a lot good. of fun. Yeah, I'm really happy. We need we to, to we need to, I'm, I'm down to just next time on, on the pod, just focus on this. Because this kind of conversation, I think, is, I mean, as much as I, we need the prem updates every time, <laughs> but like this, these kinds, these kinds of discussions are, not only are they stimulating for, me in the kind of climate we live in, but it's just, this is, this is what happens when you're able to consider more than just what's in yeah. front of you. And it's, it's, it's not freeing, but it's like, we're allowed to be malleable. And I just, I think it goes to what you, your point was before. Like if people could talk and I know I'm, privileged enough to like not that you like you've ever said and like we but this the, having us to be together and be able to do this doesn't mean like it's always like this simple but it but it yeah. shows it shows it's how important and how i don't know how positive these kinds of conversations can be well i think i think something about having this privilege is that we're not People think that because you have privilege, you would never know. But like, like I said, having this grasp, this understanding is really what it comes down to. I don't need to know every single thing about your life to know that I want you to be a human being too, you know? So, right, there's, yeah, so right, it's, right. it's, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of, um, of freeingness in that because we're, we're two people that, um, consider ourselves very good friends and we don't consider our identities to be the vital role in our, in our interactions, but rather just our individual perspectives and our, 
our, our, uh, our existence up to this point. So that's, yeah. that's something that kind of could be maybe uh, a positive on, on becoming a more uh, unified front because these people that, that kind of think if you're privileged, you know nothing about, about the reality of life. But it's like, no, I acknowledge that I don't know, but I also acknowledge that I have some idea. I've explained, I've, I've heard it enough yeah. where I can kind of understand your emotions. I can understand where you're coming from in the emotions. I can't obviously understand the person to person because I'm not you, but it's, it's that like, yeah. there has to be a, a, an embracing of that. And I think this is something that is so big because I, that's why I have these podcasts though. I have different people on who have different yeah. opinions. And I think, I think I honestly give kind of a pretty open-minded approach, but I try to give like something that, can be feasible for us for a long period of time and over a long period of time. And so it's, hmm. I think we, we, uh, yeah, next time I'm really, I'm so glad we got to do this, get into this conversation a bit more. Um, I think we, uh, we have a lot to go on covering certain aspects and also addressing them and seeing the different perspectives that we'll have. Um, right. so I agree. On that, yeah. On that note, I think, it'll, so I think it'll be a little more, um, I think it'll be conversations could potentially be even better after the election, even though it doesn't seem like it's only a couple of days. Old. This is crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Four days. It is. I mean, it's, yeah. Uh, I didn't want, I didn't want the pod to just be entirely about that, which is good. No, it wasn't. It's, but, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's we're just have, damn close. It's, it gets there. But I think we saw it from outside. We saw it like in relation to it, but also outside of just the, uh, outside of just the election itself. So, um, yeah, man. Thanks so much. Thank for you for having here. me. Yeah. I'm of so course. happy to have you. And, uh, I look forward to our next talk. Love that. Thank you for having me, man.